Oh, I can't believe I got Zeke to watch a Jim Carrey, like a, a seminal Jim Carrey performance that he didn't spend the I whole like, time shitting on it. I like this one. <laughs> I, was, I, I, had, I had shitting on moments. We just didn't get there. Oh, He's still, <laughs> yeah, he still very much just acts with his mouth, That's right? It. Like all of the funny things are just like three different facial expressions. Um, which I mean, like I'm an Adam, Adam Sandler guy. So I recognize that like, he's got like three different like voices or like, not, a, not enough things. to hate you, hate you for you. No, exactly. I need more of that and less just teeth out. Like Jim Carrey is just like, say a line, teeth out, say a line, mouth open, say a line, teeth out. I should have dropped that earlier, but fucking I couldn't stand it. I'm adding so. this shit in right now. Do this it. is Put the cold open. <laughs> this right, this whole thing is the cold open. <laughs> and it will go into the movie bubble theme right now. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to Movie Mumble, your monthly movie talk podcast where four friends get together and watch a movie and then talk about it. Uh, I'm your host, Scott, and I'm here to introduce Movie Mumble for a moment before we get stuck into our film. Every month, we pick a new film. We all take turns. The film can be anything, new or old, domestic or foreign, animated or live action, a film we've seen before or never seen before. Then we watch it, and then we talk about it. The basic idea being that we get more out of the things we love when we share them with people we care about. And we do. I get more out of my favorite films all the time, every time we do one of these podcasts. I'm joined today by Joel Lewis. Caffeine will kill ya! <laughs> by, uh, Tim Gerard. Hello. I couldn't think of anything fast enough. <laughs> and Zeke Perez. Let's see if you bleed green. <laughs> was that over the top? I could never tell. <laughs> that was excellent delivery on the caffeine yeah, model. Thank you. <laughs> I've been waiting my whole life to do that for people. <laughs> well, thank you all for joining me, gentlemen. And as some of you may have already guessed, uh, this month Joel was our film selector. And this month Joel brought us Batman Forever. Uh, before we dive in, I want to also mention that we spoil everything we talk about. Maybe not an issue with this older movie, but still. Uh, so if you're worried about that sort of thing, watch a film before you listen to its episode. And at the end of each episode, we'll announce what we're watching next month so you can watch along with us. So, Joel, this was your pick, as you mentioned. Do you want to talk to us about how it came into your life and why you chose it for the podcast? Sure thing. Um, I mean, you don't have to. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, this Dredge movie... those memories. No, this movie was Batman to me. This this came out in 96, so I was six, and it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen or would ever see again. Like, it it is the biggest nostalgia thing for me, everything about it. Kilmer in the suit, the jokes, the, the huge marketing push, the amount of money that they just threw at this, this, this movie and the partnerships with mcdonald's and just it was so everywhere and my brain was just like that is batman and it was so cool to see him this huge larger than life portrayal and it's it it has people don't like it like it, it's kind of it's the 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 for a long time it was the third of the four like it wasn't as bad as batman and robin but nowhere near as good as the two burton films like that was where it had its place in history and I always, I always defended it. I, I love this movie. It, it, I'm, I'm not above 
seeing the flaws in them. I have seen the the behind the scenes footage to show why things are the way they are in terms of plot. So it, I have more a I try not to get into the like the Snyder Cuddy kind of feeling about it because I I loved this unconditionally before I knew anything about the plot holes or the the editing or any of that stuff that happened after the fact. So like I I really try like I would be really interested to see it cut together into this this other thing that it was like the original vision. But I'm I'm happy with this because it is beautiful and twisted and exactly what I needed at that point in my life as a kid. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's fascinating. It's garish. It's loud. It's jazzy. It's twisted. It's Jim Carrey. It's Tommy Lee Jones throwing himself into a role. He hates, he actively hates it and he doesn't get it, but he, man, if he's not just fucking swinging for the fences, I like just the buy-in on this movie. And that's, I think that, that's the thing that it keeps me coming back is like, no, there was a vision here. People were passionate about this and it was cool. They were trying something and it's, yeah. So it's, it's the, the classic tale of uh, Batman losing his parents. We get to see the pearls and in maybe the first iteration of calling back and re redefining the origin in the films. This is, the reason we get the pearls in every other movie. I know that. I'm sorry. <laughs> but in this, it made sense. We kind of, it, it came back to the origin and tried to reshape it a little psychologically. Um, but it, it's, uh, Bruce Wayne is Bruce Wayne. He's the billionaire. He's got toys. He's got the cave. He's also Batman. Two-Face is knocking around. Uh, Chase Meridian, who's a, a, a psychiatrist, has come to town and just kind of coincides with Two-Face coming to power and or just kind of running rampant. And then the origin story that we kind of explore is Riddler's, and that's Jim Carrey's performance, which is manic and beautiful and just perfectly Jim Carrey. Some yes. moments don't make any sense for it to be Riddler, but it is Riddler because he's fucking playing the part. It's so great, and I love the things that he pulls from the comics. I love the things that he kind of evokes like there's certain things that i i have just recently thought about his his kind of final form with that kind of leader-esque intellect but also how he's draped and how he has that lair um is really excellent but the 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 plot is um he has this idea for a um a brain manipulation wave that allow you to feel like you're participating in a tv it's a holographic tv idea and he brings it to Bruce Wayne, he, who's he's been obsessed with, almost to a stalkerish level. And what breaks him is that Bruce Wayne says no because Enigma wanted a quick yes instead of a slow um, uh, maybe. So he was like, "No, that's not going to work for me. I need you. like he." Bruce is like, "Let's try it. Let's do it. You go talk to these people. We'll we'll start the process." And uh, Enigma's like, "No, that's not going to work." And so he sees this as a huge betrayal. So he works late and he develops this thing and he uses it on his boss. He ties up and he develops, he, he discovers that an, a side effect is that he can feed off the brainwaves of the person who's watching through this machine. So he becomes smarter and he murders his boss and he, this, he starts this psychological break into this kind of stalker, creepy, also just flamboyant and fun. Uh, Jim describes it as being like a, there's a bit of Fred Astaire to him, which is really great. I yeah. love that. 
And I love the influences that he pulled from the, the uh, Adam West show. That portrayal of Riddler has very, there's very similar lines between the two. Um, so he develops into this character and he sees part of his origin is watching Two-Face kind of terrorize the circus. And through the circus, we get Dick Grayson, Robin, for the first time since uh, Adam West. And, what's his, the other? I can't. What's his right. name? Burt, Burt Ward. Ward. Burt, Burt Ward. Ward. Since Burt Ward, it's the first time we're going to get a Robin. And they t- treat it super seriously. It's looking back on it. There's an era. There's a haircut. There's a ring. His style. Everything about it screams that era. But it was like Robin is cool. He's not a little kid. And they, they really do a good job of grounding it and saying, no, there's a reason why he wants to do this. He's motivated by revenge. So that's, uh, uh, Riddler is watching the, the circus on TV. Two-Face becomes the the person who initiates the flying Grayson massacre and massacre under the big top. And he, he becomes the antagonist for the Robin storyline, which is also going on. So we get Nigma's origin into Riddler and then Dick Grayson into Robin at the same time, all while Bruce is kind of questioning why he's and this. This is the most convoluted part of the plot. With the scenes that were kind of edited and the things that got taken out, Bruce's journey really gets muddled. There's not really a, it doesn't really make sense what happens. He's having these uh, flashback traumatic dreams. He's kind of thinking about the trauma and the motivation for being Batman. At one point, he quits being Batman to tell Chase Meridian that he's fallen in love with her. And then he gets shot in the head. And then he's okay afterward. Like there's, there's very stilted, very odd kind of what actually happens in the film with Bruce Wayne. But he's also seeing Dick Grayson as someone who's suffering the same trauma. And he talks about innocence now having a face. He was defending this idea of innocence, but now it's very close and near and dear to him. And he's like, maybe the example I'm setting for this kid who's going through the same, that's the wrong thing. Maybe I need to be truer to who I am with this person that I'm developing a relationship for with. And through all of that, Riddler and uh, Two-Face link up. And he, Riddler just, at, he's basically interning for <laughs> Two-Face. He's like, hey, will you show me how to do this? And I'll help you get Batman. So it was just this great, like, great partnership, very comic booky. there. They play off each other in a great way that's really, hides the real animosity underneath, which is great. Um and then there's this just kind of final showdown where Riddler's kidnapped uh, Chase Meridian and captures Robin and makes uh, Batman try to decide between the two of them. He chooses no. He random bullshit goes, batarangs the top of it, breaks it out, and it reverses the IQ draining, and they they beat beat the villains. Like it, it's, I, it's great. I there again certain major issues with Bruce Wayne and Batman in terms of like what that story is and what development. And they're doing a lot of different things. There's a bunch of different subplots and they're kind of doing too much too fast, but there's a certain sense that, and also for a kid, it's just, it's bright and it's shiny and it's cool. And it just, none of that has diminished for me. Every time I go back to it, it's like, look at this spectacle, the joy of this thing. And that's that's why it endures and it, it become it, it is still in my top five, top ten favorite movies of all time. I I come back to this one a lot, and 
I'm just really excited to talk about it with you guys. <laughs> Here endeth the lesson. <laughs> well, thank you, Joel. And I, you touched on a lot of what my notes are, actually. I took we were watching about Tommy Lee Jones committing to the role, despite not liking it, you know, and about the underlying sense of respect for the comic origin and certain certain things that filter in here and there and you go oh yeah someone knew what they were doing when they made that decision you know it's, mm-hmm. it's great i didn't think about robin's like the first live action portrayal since burt ward actually that's really interesting but yeah let's let's move on to first impressions which isn't going to be first for any of us right because we've all seen this before <laughs> so most recent impression then <laughs> Oh, well, I, I, I'd like to go first because I feel like maybe Joel is, is curious about what I have. I to really say. am. I really okay. am. I've been wanting to have this conversation with you. Oh, also, so, listeners, we were supposed to do Pirates of the Caribbean, and then Tim didn't <laughs> oh, like right. that one. And I was like, I, I'm interested in that discussion. I want to have that. So I, that pick will come up again. But I was so fascinated with you were like, I would rather watch Batman Forever. I was like, I will take that bet. <laughs> so <laughs> your that bluff. is why, listeners, we are now doing this film instead of Pirates. <laughs> we just went right straight into it. I love that. <laughs> no warning. So, so I, I do want I do want to break protocol and you know sort of I guess address both of my impressions, both first impressions when I first oh. saw it. And and then sort of now, and I guess part of what I want to preface it with is that, you know, back in the day, like there was no one I knew who loved this film. So there was no, no reason to kind of re-examine it. Um, so, and, and I realized one of the, one of the reasons too, like why I didn't like this when I first saw it. So yeah. So when I first saw it, I didn't like it because when I was, when I was a kid, like I had, I, I was there for like when the Tim Burton Batman first came out. And like, I owned a copy of, of it on VHS and it's like, you know, and it didn't even have words on the cover. It was just the bat symbol. Like that, the cover of the VHS does not say Batman. It's right. just got the bat symbol there. And it was like, design. It was like and I remember as, as a kid, as a, as a stupid kid, I remember flying my VHS copy around like it was the, the bat wing, like, you know, because it, it's like, Oh, look, this is the shape of the ship, you know? And, and I was like, I would like fly that around like, yeah, this is awesome. So anyway, it came out, I think in like 89, right. I think that's when that one came out. Yes. So I was 11. Yeah. 11. So that was like the coolest thing um, that was. And I think it was also, um, you know, there had been the Superman movies before that, but I think those came out like in the seventies. So I was kind of late to the game with those. So this was like, I was into comic books and this was probably the first movie that came out while I was like into comic books, knowing I'm excited about this film. Um, and you know, the, the first two of them. And I actually, you know, even at the time and probably still to this day, I actually liked the second one better. Like I thought it was one of those, I mean, you know, Jack Nicholson aside, like, I feel like, the 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 first one was a little you know as as Prue would say rough and ready, you know. Whereas with the second one, I really felt felt like everybody hit their stride, um, and I you know and I I personally love the the second one more so than the first one. Also, I was thinking about this that you know nowadays if you ask me, I don't necessarily know what I would say, but if, if as like a ten eleven year old boy, you know, which you know I don't think most kids think about this. If you had said like who is your favorite actor? it would have been Tom Hanks and Michael Keaton, yep. you know, and because like, you know, at that age, you're not really aware of who, oh, who this actor is and who's the, you know, and plus, I mean, there was just much, so much less media back then. Um, 
you know, you didn't have IMDb if you didn't happen to catch who, oh, probably, oh, also Michael J. Fox. So those, those three, you know, but like, you know, nowadays it's like, oh, you know, well, you know, is this and this and, you know, this person for this reason, you know, but like, you know, when I was a kid, like I knew bosom buddies and I had seen big and I was like, oh yeah, Tom Hanks, probably my favorite comedic actor. Um, probably uh, Michael Keaton, Michael J. Fox, I mean, was probably the, the, the actor I wanted to be because I feel like he was a little bit older than me. And I saw like, you know, who he was and what he was doing was really cool. And it was like a regular kid who goes on a time travel adventure or a regular kid who turns into a werewolf. And I was like, Oh, maybe I could be that guy. Um, with Michael Keaton, I, I had one of the, the films we had on VHS was Johnny dangerously. And I used to watch that all the time. Probably shouldn't have at that age, you know, the, I was probably way too young for that. But like, I loved it. That was one of my favorite movies as a kid. Yeah, it was probably like, you know, Back to the Future, Teen Wolf, Big and and Johnny Dangerously were my favorite movies. So now here comes Batman and it's Michael Keaton as Batman, you know, and it was just like, oh, my God, like and and it, it nailed it. So so for me, I think switching from Michael Keaton, who was one of my favorite actors to someone else. And at that point, I'm like, who the fuck is this Val Kilmer guy? Like, I, di- I didn't see him in anything else. I didn't know him from anything else. And and again, like, you know, watching it this time, I didn't have that same sort of, you know, I was going into it going, okay, this is one of Joel's favorite films. I'm going to try to like see it through new eyes. But I remember when it opens being like, I remember how pissed I was with that first line of I'll get drive through. Like that was our introduction to this Batman. Like after having two films of Michael Keaton take us on this masterful journey that ends with him ripping the the mask off to like appeal to Selena Kyle and her being like, no, fuck you. I got to kill this guy. And then, you know, the whole thing, the whole scene of him, you know, you know, thinking he sees her shit. Like, like, I feel like they, they just crafted this amazing complex Batman. And to start with like, I'll get drive through. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) So anyway, that, that was, that was the beginning of the journey of, of me not liking that film and, and the, and why, and the, the, the what was kind of coming behind it for me. And, you know, um, Real quick, it exactly what you were saying about Michael Keaton. That was Jim Carrey for me. Like that, right. like you don't know who you like, but you, you have these guys. So it was like John Travolta from like Greece and mm-hmm. look who's talking and look who's talking to shouldn't have watched those films way too early. And it was <laughs> Jim Carrey from, I mean, when nature calls not appropriate, not at all. The mask was just right, wacky, right in my lane. So this, so for for Keaton to be Batman, for Jim Carrey to be Riddler was just in the same vein. It was just cool to parallel. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, but it, and well, and, and I mean, you know, Jim Carrey was like, I, you know, he he was one of the things that kind of saved it for me because I did like Jim Carrey. You know, I did, yeah, same sort of thing. Like I was a fan of his films up to that. I forgot, like watching this, I forgot how much of like one character he was at the time you know like i'm i'm i've I've seen him in many other things i've seen that he has some range now but i forgot back then that like watching that being like oh my god so much of this is just ace ventura (laughs) like just as like ace ventura character but in green you know um but yeah there were i remember there were things that i liked about it but there were also just i i think one of my biggest like was just having Val Kilmer replace like I think at that point too I wasn't as aware of directors so I wasn't as I think it may be a little bit like oh yeah I kind of like Beetlejuice this is the same guy who did Beetlejuice you know and and I think oh yeah also seeing and I forget around when that happened because I think Beetlejuice may have come in between the two Batmans that that he did I can't remember um 
and seeing the range of Michael Keaton to do Batman and Beetlejuice and be like, oh, fuck, that's the same guy, you know. Um, but, like, I I also, I don't know that the colorful aspect bothered me so much until I kind of started getting older and kind of looking at direction and cinematography and set and, all, you know, all that kind of m- more in-depth stuff beyond just, like, the actors. Um I remember one thing that did bother me was the Batmobile. Like, why did it have that huge fin in the middle? And then why, when Robin is in it, does it have two fins on top? Like, I remember watching that now and just being like, like, it doesn't make me angry anymore, but I'm still just like, why? Like, I don't, I don't get it, you know? And like, when things confuse me, sometimes that pisses me off and I can acknowledge that I was confused by it without getting angry all over again. But I was like, oh yeah, I remember being angry about that. Like, why? They blew um, it up. It was a different one at the end because <laughs> no no it's in the middle like in the beginning in it has the middle one it splits fin. in the in the beginning it has one fin when robin steals it to go drive when he's like the other car which i love that oh, scene by I the way. See, yes. when, <laughs> and so like for two scenes we see it has like two fins bouncing up and down and i down. see okay. and then it goes back to so <laughs> that but, is fair <laughs> yeah. so anyway so it, it, it just it's one of those things where like yeah like I, I think we've talked about this before with other things that bother me it's like why like you didn't have to do that you chose to do that and it just made it this really weird thing but anyway um again it didn't bother me this time i did love what they do i loved everything about robin i thought i thought that part was really cool i remember enjoying that even when i was younger like oh this is one of the saving graces i love jim carrey i love i loved his riddler i loved i loved all his cane work like i thought the fact that it's like you know you know he's practiced and trained with all that shit like yes. like that was great like i loved all, yeah that when he goes behind his head like and, spin, and it drops and yeah and i love when he he throws it into the floor and it sticks sticks in the bat in the bat cave he's about to defile the sanctum and he's just like fuck you here's my scepter oh (laughs) um so yeah so like so that was the thing is like i remember watching it now being like i said first of all like okay like i'm gonna rethink this because you know joel likes it i don't i don't have to shit on it like but but again, like I said, there was there was no reason not to revisit that when I was younger. It was just kind of like this isn't the Batman that I kind of got teased with for two films. Um, but I remember being like, oh yeah, I love Jim Carrey in it. I I thought Tommy Lee Jones was. I remember well, like when I first saw it, like how overboard they went with the whole the whole Two Face aspect of it. Um, which again, now it didn't bother me that much, but I, I did love the when he has the moments of Harvey Dent that come through and his voice kind of normalizes. Like I thought that was brilliant. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I think I think my part of my biggest problem with it was just Val Kilmer, you know, and 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 you know that the, the color sometimes didn't bother me as much. Because looking back, like we get some of that with Joker, you know, and he has his crew in there. And then especially when we get into part two, when it's like Penguin and his, he has his circus crew that's a bunch of, you know, circus freaks and clowns and everything. So it's like, okay, like this was kind of there. It wasn't as bright, but it was still that thing. Um, I mean, the whole, the, the, the nipples and butts really kind of irked me. I remember that being a thing. Like, again, why? Like, <laughs> like, why? I, I... I have an explanation for that. Okay, if, if you'd like to hear it, <laughs> I have an in-world yeah. explanation for that that I made up on the spot. Yeah, which is so, the bat nipples secret pheromones. Oh, there you go. <laughs> they you gotta feel wait. What they need to feel that would have been the third. See, that would have been after Batman and Robin, so because he would have taken the wax lips, like the whole poison ivy thing, and adapted oh, yeah. the nipples for that. 
That's how he so... gets women to fall in love with him and thugs to be sluggish and miss him. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I almost don't want to say because it's not even close to that good. <laughs> no, so Schumacher was talking about like his Gotham is very um like Roman in terms of like scale, right? And like he was thinking of as the bat suit as a Greek statue. And like the because everything like his his visions are usually operatic. I mean, you can see like the scale and the size and the way things are played. Mm. I mean, the sets were massive. This was the biggest movie budget to date. It made the most mo- money of any movie when it came out. Like this was a huge fucking spectacle. So his ideas about like what the the suits are are emulating like Greek statues, statuesque kind of facade things. It's an artistic choice. Like it, it's not practical or it's not even, it doesn't have any kind of um, basis in the comics though. I mean, you're studying the human figure and the comic books are very much about these super strong idealized bodies. So I thought that, that I never had an argument against that. And I still think it is, it is silly. Bat nipples are silly, but now to have that basis of like, okay, he's evoking these kind of, sculptural bodies that okay i see that there was it's not just we forgot to take them off of the models you know it seems so flippant like why would you do that like but it it, i i I like that he had a purpose for it Mm. i mean and i guess that kind of makes sense you think about it like i feel like you know a lot of times you'll have the suits like that and you'll see abs like they'll create abs on the suit Mm -hmm. and it's like well yeah you don't need to show the abs the abs are the muscles that the person has underneath but you're trying to make it almost look like this is their actual body you know and like it made me think of like 300 you know like how they're all shirtless so we see abs and pecs and nipples and you know that's that's part of it that's part of the look so it's like okay like again like i see the reasoning you know right um, it's like life's it right like and that's the other thing is like comic book the whole thing is a comic book and i I think it's very very specific like things that two-face says mm -hmm. like let's start this party with a bang or like nothing but like a bad case of gas it's like these giant like that would be a panel and just like or it would bleed into the title or like the the pre-title like Mm -hmm. introducing massacre under the big top you know like all of those things so like when like you think about life sin or diodato and those those rippling muscle like every sinew of the body and no nipples like it's it's really interesting (laughs) the the contrast there one thing that i thought of too that i that i noticed and i want to i do want to bring this um I guess up for, for, for discussion and and review, because it's like, Oh, like it's one of those things. Maybe I missed something. Maybe this isn't like a a flaw. Maybe this was intentional, but I'm also still confused by it. So I do want to bring this up. And I think I didn't notice this as a kid, but I kind of noticed this now as I was kind of, you know, following the the plot for what it was. Um, But anyway, so yeah. So just to wrap up, like I did, I did definitely enjoy this viewing a lot more than than when when i was younger and it was just sort of being disappointed that it wasn't you know part three of a trilogy you know by tim burton danny elfman and and uh, michael keaton you know um that was another thing too the music like i i the music is i mean i i don't want to say like i think the music does a good job of fitting what film this is versus the the tim burton one and and joel we talked briefly briefly that elliot goldenthal like i 
his score for um, uh, Interview with the Vampire is one of the first film scores I think that I own and would just like listen to like repeatedly. So, so the music also was not a problem for me, like going into it being like, oh, it's not Danny Elfman. Like that was never one of my complaints. Like, oh, you know, and I, I, I thought he did a great job of writing a new Batman theme that if you weren't really tuned in, you may not notice how different it was from the Danny Elfman theme. Cause it definitely has a similar mood to it. And the way he kind of transforms it throughout, like I, that was something I actually paid closer attention to like hearing all the ways he kind of morphs the bat, the Batman theme and, yeah. and, and to kind of fit the different moods of what's happening. And um, I, I thought it was, I mean, you know, Elliot Goldenthal, I think has a little bit more of like a uh, uh, jazz infused into his style yeah. and it, that, that definitely comes out more, but I think it, it kind of fits, you know, it kind of fits what they're kind of doing with stuff. Like you get sort of like the, the sexy scenes with him and chase and you get the muted trumpet solo, you know, which I yeah, feel like not enough saxophone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's not something that, that Danny Elfman would do that often, but it also like it would, I don't think the first two were that kind of film. So the fact right. that we had those moments, you know, I think it fit, like it seemed, and, and I don't know, maybe, and you know, Scott, maybe you could answer more to this. Like I never, thought of the first two i mean when i was a kid i didn't know what this was but even looking back i don't look at the first two as being all that noir but this one felt more noir like the way him and chase interact like it definitely had that and again maybe it was because of the music maybe because you had that that bluesy muted trumpet solo over it that sort of pushed it in that direction um but i feel like billowing smoke in the background every time that they're talking like it's definitely like here's a, a a panel of like yeah that music I feel like, is implied like that yeah, i feel like the cape takes the place of a trench coat very much yes. so in a lot of those scenes you know and oh, like yes. and she she looks like a noir dame to me you know that type yes. of thing you know it's like it's like why doesn't batman have a, a glass of scotch right now like that you know like that <laughs> that type of vibe i feel like it's it's it I don't know, it seemed like it was it was there maybe again maybe i just noticed it more because i'm thinking more about noir because we've talked about it in the past but um but yeah so again like the music was something else that i that i really enjoyed about the film um watching it this time i also really enjoyed how uh they they delve into the psychology of it and and it was something i didn't appreciate when i was younger how i think they picked two-face because they're like we're going to talk about the duality of bruce wayne and batman so to have two-face as that kind of dark mirror for batman and bruce wayne and then you know um so I thought that that part was really interesting because I feel like he saw a lot of himself in Two-Face and I hadn't caught that when I was younger and having having Chase kind of dig into his psyche and stuff like that and having him come to terms with things. And um, I thought that was really interesting. Also, the way um, with his repressed memories and that little doll, like the way color played into that, that the idea of you know, he's looking at this doll, which is like black and white. And it's like so much of this film is filled of color and we're breaking down to the stark black and white contrast here of this, you know, the, the good and evil, but Bruce and, and, you know, but also Bruce and Batman, but also maybe Harvey and Two-Face, you know, he's seeing that and that's, that's maybe what's kind of bringing that together for him. And then in his memories, you've got the roses, which are red and also his father's red ledger and how often Chase is wearing like red lipstick or a red dress. And so I feel like, you know, they were being very, even though there was a lot of color, I feel like they were being very intentional about the color, at least in, in those instances that I noticed. 
Um, so I thought that was really interesting or even, you know, the pearls being white, you know, as a contrast, everything else being dark, you know, and maybe, so maybe as he's looking at the black and white doll, it's like, oh, it's his mother and father. So like so many aspects of, of just, you know, duality and opposite ends of the spectrum coming into play and how complex that is and the way it's working in his mind. And I was like, I was like, shit, that's cool. We never really, we never really see that kind of vulnerable aspect of Bruce Wayne where he's, we, we see him remembering stuff, but it's much more in a just like, well, this is what I got to do. Cause this is what happened. Whereas this, he's like, Hey, I might, I might be kind of fucked up, you know, like, <clears throat> I feel like we don't really see yeah. that that often. So I thought that was actually really cool. Um, the, the last thing, so the thing I wanted to mention, and this again, like we can, we can open this up to something or we can come back to it, but I just want to mention it before I forget it is that I remember the part where he's trying to get out of the safe at the beginning and he has to borrow the hearing aid of the security <laughs> guard. And I was like, that man's supposed to be prepared for this shit. Why doesn't he have something? So that was one thing that bothered me. And then at the end, I remember that like, he's like, Oh, I had this experimental bat suit with the sonar and blah, blah. blah. And he's like, Oh yeah, I'm blind as a bat. And he puts the things up and it's like, what did that do? Like there was no, it wasn't like he was in the dark and he couldn't see. And it's yep. a giant fucking thing. Like he's throwing a batarang and hit a person in the face. You, you mean to tell me he would have missed that unless he had. To... And I was, but then like my, but then my other brain was like, wait a minute. Is that kind of like a moment of like, Oh, I don't have this thing to be able to listen. I should work that. I'm going to build a suit based on the fact that I didn't have this, this sound based thing this sonar you know which i mean i guess sonar is kind of weird because it's like well it's a sound-based thing but it's to hear so was was that kind of like this thread of him not being able to get out of the 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 safe without having to borrow a hearing device made him think oh i should create a sonar suit and that's what led to him having the sonar suit at the end but then it's like but then what purpose did it serve i so, think you're giving so, it way too much credit with that theory <laughs> okay well i'm, I'm yeah that's I'm, I'm trying i'm trying to give it the benefit of the, no, like i, I said it. sometimes i, I miss things and it's like oh no that was a reference to this it's like oh, okay yeah so it was intentional and not so so anyway that was my <laughs> my impression, of impression. It. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah that's my Zeke. first and second <laughs> yeah Zeke, do you want to i'm about like that? oh no it's not so bad <laughs> yeah sure yeah um i feel like mine are pretty similar to joel's uh i think right this was batman to me i had a i don't know probably my my seventh or eighth birthday party was all batman themed and it's hard to pinpoint when you're having a birthday at that age, which like where that came from, right? I mean, it was maybe this, it was maybe uh, Batman, the animated series, a little of both, but I don't know. Batman was big to me. This was a movie that I loved. This was Batman on the big screen and a movie that I loved and saw and all those things. Um, so yeah, from that perspective of just Batman larger than life, a movie that I can watch, this was that for me. Um, but it is interesting, Joel mentioned the marketing and I, the marketing was big for me too, right? I think I still have the McDonald's, um, the Riddler like mug, the glass mug and the, I think I have the Batman one too. I feel like those are two. No, they I had got a rid of one. mine and I'm so sad. <laughs> oh, no. Was the handle of the mug a question mark? It better. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. It was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're so cool. <laughs> They're great. Just glassware for adults that's just how you <laughs> the those type were of stuff made you put in your house yeah in france those were like commissioned from a french glassmaker 
and they were <laughs> sold out at all of the as much as we find them in Goodwills and stuff now. Like they were sold out in two weeks. Like that's how wow. quickly they sold the burgers to make that money. Like, <laughs> that's why he says, "I'll get drive-through." McDonald's is like, "Hey, we're gonna use this and market the shit out of it." <laughs> it should have been more direct with the McDonald's plug, yeah, because <laughs> well deserved, yeah, um, yeah. So just like the aspects of it, you heard it your linger. first six favorite movie is Mac and Me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Z, please. No, you're good. But yeah, I don't know. It's interesting that the marketing power that this movie had and, and the staying power because of the marketing and it just was everywhere. Um, I don't know. I mean, it gave you a lot, right? It gave you a lot of different villains. Um, I think the big thing that stood out to me this time was just thinking about it compared to the Adam West Batman. <laughs> because when, I don't know, like when you're a kid and when this is the Batman that's on the big screen that's presented to you, it's so cool and it's so action-packed and none of it is corny and all of it is just mind-blowing and amazing. And like, and then I remember getting a little bit older and my parents were like, oh, check out the Adam West Batman. And you're like, this is campy. This is so corny. All of the lines they deliver are just ridiculous. Like the action is so silly. And then watching it again, I'm like, yeah, but no, this is that. <laughs> this this is not any better than Adam West Batman. This is not any different than that. The number of just ridiculous lines that they linger on too long that they deliver, it's the same thing. The action <laughs> is the same thing. Just everything, it's not different than that. It just feels... Holy rusted metal, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> it feels so modern and so cool because I grew up with it, but no... And it's interesting to watch it again, like with the, the uh, bookends of, I mean, I guess the Adam West Batman on one side and then Christian Bale and all the other Batmans we've gotten on the other side. Like, I mean, yeah, this definitely leans more towards the first side, but it, it fits a little more neatly in between, I think. Um, I don't know, like watching it again, Val Kilmer felt like a cool Bruce Wayne to me for maybe the first few scenes. And then later you're like, all right, he's fucking ridiculous. Like he's yeah, a little too corny, but he has some really cool scenes where he first um, is kind of at the gala and he's just talking to people and just doing his cool Bruce Wayne thing. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I know there's always the debate about who's the best Bruce Wayne and who's the best Batman. And it's interesting to think of this in that debate. Now that we have so many more after this, um, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting like piece of its time though. And, and the movies around it too. I mean, all, all of the nineties movies aren't free from the critique of how campy it is. Right. Like some of my friends and I remember in college sat down and watched the one with, uh, Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze and just <laughs> the corny lines that he delivers there. And you're just cracking up because they're so bad. Um, this one has all of those moments too. Uh, Jim Carrey, some corny lines. My guy Tommy Lee Jones acting his ass off to like be two face here is great. Um, I don't know. Yeah. So all of that. And then I'm not the biggest uh, Tim Burton fan. I, it depends, right? It's kind of hit and miss for me. Um, I feel like this is a little bit more of a hit though. Like rewatching this, I'm like, I dislike this less than other Tim Burton things. So this and... is this is a different director. 
This is okay. Joel Schumacher. That's, why, that's maybe why gotcha. you feel that way. Okay. <laughs> it's not and a Tim Burton movie. <laughs> does Burton do anything in this? Is he not? He's in it. He's Dr. Burton at the end when he, he's the psychiatrist <laughs> for Edward Nick, but he produced it, but he okay. was not the director. Okay. So producer. Okay. Yeah. But I feel like you get a lot of the Tim Burton-esque, like the, and I learned about it through this. So I'm feeling very artsy and very film schooly, but the tilted quote unquote Dutch angle. I didn't know that was a thing. I was like, <laughs> why is every fucking shot in this movie <laughs> diagonal? And Google was like, that's called the Dutch angle. And Tim Burton likes it. And I was like, all right, I learned something today. <laughs> but it was all very tilted. And I learned it because of this movie. So I'm a better person because of this movie. Because I learned artsy film direction things because of this movie. So I thought that maybe he had more say in it because of the tilt <laughs> of the camera. <laughs> but maybe I like it more because he's not directing it. So. He's not the one tilting the fucking camera. <laughs> there we go. There we go. I like the way this one tilts it. Exactly. I like the tilt here. Um well cool. Yeah. I was like, I like this I like this Burton. Um but I don't know. Yeah. But I mean it, it does feel very comic booky, very Gotham-y, uh very corny, but all of the all of the good things too. So yeah, it was fun to rewatch um, for all of the corny lines and for all the, all of the larger than life characters. Um, I had a lot of fun rewatching it. Is my second impression or twentieth impression or whatever we're at. So <laughs> I feel like I've seen it a lot, but I definitely felt like watching it again now. There were a lot of things that I reframed, but I liked it. So thank you. So as my I'm going to be the weird one here, I guess, because I got into Batman with the animated series and the comics first. And to be fair, I mean, I was, I was born in 1992. So by the time I became aware of there are movies, right? It, <laughs> like Batman and Robin had left at that point. And I don't know that it, it was, you know, years after it was maybe the same year even, but I did, I missed all of them in theaters. Right. So I came to Lee's after it was already into Batman. Now, I don't know whether it was because of Buckbuster's shelving scheme or what, but I actually always thought that Batman Returns was the fourth movie. I thought that was kind of the whole point, was that the original actor came back and it was a return to form, like oh, a, a recovery of the series. So I watched them in that order. I watched Batman and then this one, and then Batman and Robin, and then Returns. You have great watch order origin stories. Like, the f- fucking way you watched Bond makes no sense. Like, I love it. Sorry, go ahead. No, thank you. Yeah, but, um... <laughs> You're right. And that, that one is because of Blockbuster, actually. I know it is. Like, for sure. But, um, so, already I... It was happy with the TV show, saw the first film, saw the connections, like, great. It's also a movie. It's a little more grown up. Fine. Saw these, the, this Forever and Batman Robin went, these were great. These were the ones that were kids. They were for fun. I loved them. Saw Returns went, oh, I see why we went back to it. Great. Just that I didn't think about these at all. I didn't put any more thought into them. And then I basically ever, like, if I went, wanted to go rewatch something Batman related, it was the show. And I never sort of made it to rewatching any of the films for any reason because I would just throw the show on, right? I had video cassettes of like most of the TV show at a certain point. And, and we had the, the cassette you mentioned, Tim, with the bat symbol on it for the original film. And I rewatched that a couple times, but I just, it always made me want to watch the show again. So that was it. I didn't really put any thought into this at all. So coming back now was the first time in ages that I came back to this whole series. 
And it's, it's I mean, I, I don't know. I've got all these all kinds of stuff, but I, I think my answer is that this is maybe the worst of the four because it's trying to do both. It's still can't be good fun. I mean, that's why you're right. Dog at drive through is a McDonald's line, sure. But it's also like immediately telling you, don't take this too seriously. This is not yep. the same movie again. This is going to be yep. fun. Right? And it's, it's, a, it's a triumphant line. It's great. I love it. But then there are all the sections that you mentioned about the seriousness of the relationships and the character journeys and the moments that come straight from the comics that I now recognize and go, oh, look at that. Someone knew what they were talking about. Like, And it kind of swings back and forth, kind of like Two-Face, I guess. Um, whereas Batman and Robin just commits to being insane, 100%. <laughs> and I think it's better for it, honestly. It's just, just a wacky drive from start to finish. It's the difference Never between Never in watching... a million years did I think this was going to be the take. Can I just, I just for a second, this is amazing. <laughs> I'm so glad it's It's the difference it's between watching the Adam West show or watching, you know, that's the Batman and Robin in this analogy, right? And the animated series is the first film, fine. And then there's like... I don't know. I don't even have another good analogy because no one's tried it. No one's tried to do both. <laughs> like maybe a couple episodes of the Justice League animated series sort of stuck some stuff in there. I don't know. Like, I'd have to rewatch. But so that was a crazy, a crazy feeling I had the whole time I was watching this. Was the the, the, the various parts are good, but the sum of it's less than the sum of its parts. <laughs> and I wish they just committed, you know. But it is it is really good. I really did love robin's origin way more the second time around because the first time around it was just oh i guess i needed some excuse to introduce a grown-up actor to be robin so we'll just smush his origin in with the modern stuff cool wait i didn't look into this at all right as a kid it was like oh yeah we we're not using a real boy wonder sure whatever who cares it's neat robin's cool but here watching this again it just everything about it was done beautifully the the family in the circus stepping in to save yes. the day. Um, his whole interaction with Bruce, Bruce and Alfred's like one two punch of okay, bye, right? Oh, I'll throw the food out. Perhaps like, the dogs are hungry. Yeah, that was <laughs> Alfred yeah. is the fucking man in it. <laughs> he is. I just it was brilliant. And and then the whole conversation with him about the Robin helmet. Right, you came flying in like Robin, that it means something to him in his history of hero- heroics. And the way I just that was brilliant. It, I really don't know if I've watched these like since like 2001. Maybe it's been it's been ages oh. because there was so much in here that I just never thought of or saw before, and I was left sort of going, I don't know when I last watched these. So, so first impression was, yeah, good fun Batman movie. I have more Batmobiles to buy because I have a mini collection mm-hmm. at home. And then second impression was, there's so many really interesting pieces in here. And I'm really sorry, Tim. I never even thought about the noir connection until you mentioned it just now, which is kind of insane because the animated series is steeped in that aesthetic. And the animated series is inspired by the 89 Tim Burton film. And these films carry on that same presence of Gotham City, the architecture of the whole, you guys talked about it a lot, the Romanesque, Gothic sort of feel. So I really have to think that over. And I may have an answer for you by the end of the podcast, but... I mean, that, that, that's kind of a great summary right there. Oh my god, I never thought of that. And there's way more to this, to every facet of it than I ever thought before. But as I mentioned, I was kind of getting ready for this to just be a ridiculous camp fest. So then when it wasn't, I was left going, oh, 
we're in two minds about this. Hey, <laughs> uh, <A>, quote. <laughs> uh, I'm so glad you guys watched this, and I'm so glad you guys feel so many different ways about it. <laughs> what was really cool was seeing the way this has influenced later stuff, right? Not just in the... A lot of it comes from Burton's film, right? Of course. But the Riddler, everything about the Arkham video games, Riddler, is this. Right down to the shape of the question marks, like all of it. The aesthetic has not changed. Mm -hmm. This has defined the look of the characters since. I mean, yeah. (laughs) It's just perfect. (laughs) Um, Tim, you wanted to return to the sonar bat suit hearing aid discussion, I believe. But yeah. You know, so, once, everyone, once everyone's had a turn. <laughs> <laughs> so here, here's the thing about that. I th- he's the blind is a bad thing. I think mm-hmm. he's putting that on so he doesn't get blinded when he breaks the thing and it flashes. That's the point yeah. of that. I don't think it has anything else to do with that. And also, I don't know why he doesn't have a thing. Is it just like, hey, look, we cast a guy with a hearing aid. Do you see the representation that he said there's boiling acid? That 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 it seems very weird. There's no reason for it other than to have that guy say, "Ah, it's boiling acid." Well, the other thing Batman is is prepared. He's also resourceful. I right. think that was the point. Was oh, I'm going to dive my way out of this. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> But then you're right. That was such a mundane thing. Like he should have had that on him. It's like him picking up a, a length of pipe and going, "I'll turn this into a boomerang." You'd be there going, "Where's your belt, buddy? What are you doing?" And, and like if that if that security guard didn't happen to have a hearing aid, like how would he have gotten out of there? Like he he'd be dead. You know, yeah. like it was a stroke of luck, which I feel like Batman doesn't rely on luck. You know, and it's like it was, it was such a yeah, it was such a weird thing. I remember being like confused about that yeah so i think i was trying to make sense of it like oh maybe these two things tie together you know? i like that idea i i wish that was the case but i i can't give it that much credit honestly oh i thought of another another thing that that bugged me too and this is kind of a minor thing too but like i love the scene when him and alfred are solving the riddle and how they're working through it and like solving the puzzle and it's like oh that's so cool but to me, it was such a cop out. It's like, oh, maybe one and eight. Maybe it's supposed to be eighteen. It's like, wait, what? Like, like, why wouldn't the riddle have just done something with the number eighteen in it? Because like, you had a thirteen. It wasn't like they had to be one digit numbers. It's just, it seemed, it seemed like, like too ham fisted. Like we need to somehow make this Mister E, and we can't come up with a riddle that has the number eighteen. All right, we'll split into one and eight. We'll do it. Like, it was just like, wait, what? And like, how quick? They, like, it was just like. It seemed like I, I feel like so much of it was so deliberate. Like the fact that it was a puddle puzzle within a puzzle, right? It was these four riddles that oh, I'm going to solve them, and it's about the objects. No, it's not about the objects. It's about the numbers. But that, like, I don't know. It just it, it yeah, like that that bugged me a little bit. It's like that that could have been written differently. Where I, I don't know if it's that they needed four puzzles, so like okay, let's make it one and eight instead of eighteen. And I don't know. It was just it, and it's a stupid thing to bother me. But I think even as a kid, like like because it's like yeah, solving the riddles, and that was really cool. And it's like it seemed like a like a cheat, you know? Like you can't just take two numbers and make them into one number to make it the thing you want it to be. Well, know? if you want the satisfying version of that, go watch Love Batman with the cipher at the beginning. Oh, okay. 
Have you seen that? Yeah, yet? it gets very. Not much yet, no, but it is on oh, HBO, okay, yeah. so it's well, on my list. Yeah. Well, there's a similar bit because you know the Riddler's our guy, where mm. he and Alfred are working together on a cipher, and it, but it works, right? Oh, nice. <laughs> Makes sense. So, yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah. I was just so distracted by how awesome the fucking riddles were. Like the amount of money I would pay for one of those props, like those gorgeous yeah. fucking pop-up book. Not like, and they just get progressively more and more elaborate. Like these love letters to the the dude he's obsessed with, and they're just these Garrett. Oh, it's they're so cool. Yeah, the whole time I'm just like, I want to look at the fucking battle guys, like the the warriors and the the pop up one. I don't care what they're solving. Just let me look at the thing for a bit. <laughs> I also forgot that an element was him trying to like copy bruce wayne like i you know the yeah. whole comment about him wearing his same suit and then he's like how does my mole my mole <laughs> and then like when bruce had, he's, he puts the glasses on because bruce has glasses on and takes them off and bruce takes them off like i forgot about that whole thing that I and he takes them off in the same way like with the yeah. same pacing he's it's just such a bad facsimile it's it's great <laughs> yeah i 80s wayne court was a trip for oh us, my the god it we get to see so good patrick Bateman, bruce wayne the big oh. suits the architecture the whole announcement about profit his profit sharing initiative because he's a generous guy like it was just oh my god i, I know it was already the 90s when this came out but and i love the kind con- uh, the, the the aesthetic of i mean there's these grand giant sets and these great mm-hmm. iconic I mean, they look like panels, like the crazy architecture, and it it feels like Gotham. And that's something I like about, though the direction and the characters and the actors change between the Burton and the Schumacher films, Gotham seems to stay, it morphs. It -hmm. seems like the same place, but it's gotten more and more unruly and wild and overgrown. And it's really interesting when you get to Batman and Robin to see the kind of massiveness and the weird kind of like that's the the neon gang in this neon kind of skyscape moves yeah. into the 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 biker gang and in, into that film it's just interesting how it just kind of balloons out it further and further from like that dark gothic uh root it just seems to like have gotten more and more impregnated with madness <laughs> in a it certain it feels sense. like they drew on the some of the aesthetics of dark Knight returns to really mm. add the like that has this decayed neon future going for it here. They're right. like, what if that neon future grew out of decay? I was saying all that to make a point based on something Tim said, but I got lost. I'm sorry. <laughs> was it the, the sonar suit and the hearing aid or that was that where it started? Oh no. I, we were talking about the architect. Sorry. Uh, the architecture. Oh, 80s Scott was talking about yeah. 80s Wayne tech. I was thinking it was really cool that like, it's very pristine. It's very angular. It's very architectural. And then you get to Enigma's desk and it's almost like, um, um, uh, Aronofsky's film where the, the, the machinery is taking over the bedroom and the house pie. Like yeah. it feels very much like that. Like he is ingrained and like, it just contrasts so starkly with everything else. And then I love his lair, his little, like un, like boy under the stairs but also it's a hallway but he has all this cool stuff in it it's just like this cave he has his own bat cave in a certain sense when he's got more trophy-esque things that i mean this is a good bat cave but we haven't gotten the giant fucking penny we haven't got the t-rex we haven't gotten those things this is we get close to it in that like in terms of scale and there's like the the wings over there and the boats over here like that kind of scale to it but I, I didn't even realize that, like, 
Riddler Nigma has a bat cave. It's really kind of cool. <laughs> Yet again, without knowing it, he emulates Bruce in a right. less effective way. Right. Yeah. I I want to talk a little more about that split identity I was feeling in the film mm-hmm. because you talked a lot about it, Tim, with the the romance and the way it handles Batman's whole emotional journey, right? Of why exactly am I doing this? Is it from a similar point of reasoning as the villains I capture? Like, and then how Robin brings back that like that need to re-examine what he's doing, but how he's maybe making the wrong choice again to step away. It There are times when it folds in really well, right? The whole scene when he kicks down her desk door, yeah. or uh, her office door, right, is that great mixture of ridiculousness and leads into this serious talk about, like, why he's there and how he's trying to get information out of her and, like, ask her to this thing as a side thing, but then she starts to dig and he has to reconsider oh, like, this conversation isn't going the way I thought it was. And it it's a great blending. But so many other parts of the film kind of just whiplash back and forth. And I think a good point is when Robin finds the Batcave, right? Um, he goes, he's, if he weren't running, he wouldn't have gone into the cave at all, which is great, right? He would have gone into a fake silverware closet. Great, nice touch. But he chips, he falls through, he tumbles down. And Alfred just scowls at him. And he looks like almost afraid because there's this moment of, oh my God, this old man can actually kick my ass. Like, <laughs> because when you suddenly find yourself in the Batcave, it's, it's intimidating. Like, nothing is what I thought it was. Secrets are huge. He's probably pretending to be some old man. Holy shit, you know. But the next time we see him, he's out in the car, right? Yeah. And we're, I needed a transition there. I needed something, right? How did we go from him being like legitimately scared of Alfred for a moment? to joyriding the Batmobile and Alfred calling Bruce with fear in his voice, right? How did we get from A to B? And the film's already pretty damn long. So to be fair, right. You know what I'm suggesting would have added way more time, but what I love about him discovering the Batcave is he had to be Robin to get in, you know, like he mm-hmm. had to have the skill set. And I mean, say what you will about laundry karate, but to six-year-old Joel, that was the hardest shit in the world. I was like, that <laughs> is how I will live my life. That man is a fucking legend. Like, Mom, can I do the laundry, please? <laughs> <laughs> I do that shit with socks to this day, every time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he needed Robin's skills, which is great, right? But it was kind of like a rite of passage. Like, he had mm-hmm. to figure out how to get down there in the time it took for that door to close. And yeah. like, because he was, because he's Dick Grayson and an acrobat and this athlete, he was able to do it. And it was like a rite of passage. He, he earned, yeah. he earned access to the temple. I'm not familiar enough with all the ways Dick's origin has or hasn't changed through the years, but they do something similar with Dark Victory. And it's just, I mean, it's like you said, it's perfect. It's that he earns it that he shows up and already has these skills and that when he applies them inventively, he earns the knowledge of the right and respect. And it's kind of like what they did with Tim Drake because when Jason Todd died, they had trouble with Todd a lot, basically throughout his whole first life. So when they killed him and then ended up bringing the Robin back, there was a lot of conversation about, we can't just shove a new kid at Batman the way we did with Jason, right? Where Batman discovers him pulling the hubcaps off the Batmobile for God's sake, right? So Tim's whole journey is about earning it, about deducing Batman and Robin's secret identities on his own, 
deducing their whole network of heroes where they've been, analyzing patterns in Batman's behavior to see that they're wrong and why bring everybody together. And it's they really put the legwork in to try to make readers feel like, okay, yeah, this guy deserves to be here, right? And that I love when they treat Dick the same way. Because I mean Dick gets Dick gets shoved around a lot in a lot of media. Uh but giving him that introduction of oh no he's not just the first haha but giving him that same level of respect for the character right it's self-worth i guess is it's a beautiful touch and it works better than in dark victory because in dark victory he kind of just arrogance his way forward into the bat cave and then once he shows up there by coincidence it's just in time to beat out two-face right like it's a little clumsier which not to imply that dark victory is terrible right but this just felt like a much better treatment of the same concept. But then again, we cut straight to suddenly Alfred's voice is cracking with fear. He's joyriding the Batmobile. Like, oh, Jason Todd is here. That's the thing. Like, there's a little bit of pride in Dick's face, too. Like, he's like, oh, I got it. Oh, cool. This is like, there's there's something else interesting here, which is really cool about that, too. And I, I mean, it's all for the joke, right? We don't get that transition so that Alfred could go... He took the car. He boosted the Jag. No, the the what was the other one? I can't remember the other one. But like, no, he's like, no, he 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 took the, the other the car, the the big other. one, <laughs> the other car, <laughs> the love machine. <laughs> what the fuck was that line? <laughs> maybe, <just> I'm, <laughs> maybe I'm encroaching too much into adulthood, but like. Robin rub, rubbed me the wrong way this time. He's a little asshole. <laughs> pushing back too much. Like, I don't know. He's, he's, he's acting up. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I get that he... I don't know. I think when I looked at him when, he, when I was a kid, I was like, oh, hell yeah. Like, he found his way into the Batcave, and he's rebellious, and he's doing his thing. And now I'm just like, listen to Batman. <laughs> Would you listen to Batman? Stop being an asshole and, like... <laughs> Yeah. No, Ariel, you can't marry the man you just met. <laughs> but, um, I, I love to, that Robin sort of... into a Disney dad. <laughs> I, I love that Robin undercuts the whole psychologist Dr. Chase. What's her last name? Money, Dr. Chase. Meridian. Meridian, thank you. Because her whole character journey is, you know, when you're young, you're attracted to these images, these bad boys. But I've, you know, gone through this journey with you, Bruce, and the fat man, and grown up, and, you know, learned what I want out of life. In a, in a more mature, long-lasting way. But meanwhile, here's Robin, the bad boy for us to all fall in love with. <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing. Like, I think Nicole Kidman might get a bad... I mean, she's untouchable. She's outstanding, iconic. Out, like, even in this, which is like a nothing part. Like, we don't really get to see much of her as a psychoanalyst. We just kind of see her lusting after Batman and looking sexy while she does it. Which is very much in the style of Selena Kyle. Like, it, like that sexualization and it's comic book characters and it's those things not that any of those things are good but that is where it's coming from is that over sexualization but like she's great she has great banter whatever she had schlocky lines or not she delivered well and she was playing it sexy but it was also like coy and like playful with it too if they had given her half of a character more we would be talking about her in the same breath as we did the previous femme fatale portrayal you know like she's just as iconic she's just as good in the role there's just like nothing for her to do which sucks 
Yeah, I definitely, I liked her a lot better than Vicky Vale. Because remember in the first one, just being like, she just screams every fucking time. Like every time something happens, she screams. And it was just like, I, I hate this. Like, get out of here, you know? And I think that's one of the reasons I like the second one so much because we get Catwoman. Fifers. She's a badass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's Pfeiffer, of course, but she's also a badass. And it's like, yeah, like, I feel like they were really trying to, like, turn it around from that damsel in distress kind of thing, which is all Vicky Vale was, you know? And so it was, it was nice to get that contrast. And with her, I feel like it was kind of, she's almost a mix of the two where it's like, yeah. she's not really in distress, but she's not as much of a badass, but she's still kind of in charge. And, you know, so yeah, I think she was, she was way more palatable than, than, um, than Vicky Vicky. Vale, but it's like, yeah, you're not, you're not going to compete with, you know, with Selena Kyle, you know, so She's the consolation prize. <laughs> <laughs> I have a million things. So if you guys have time, I feel like I keep stepping on people's points. So if you have stuff you want to bring in, bring in it. Because, like, I'm just going to go. <laughs> I mean, we've covered some of mine already just in the, the discussion that's already occurred. But um, there's something also, like, I don't know. We talked about Tommy Lee Jones, right? His performance, despite his misgivings. But there's something about the sets and the acting that my note is a lot of gibberish too, because I haven't finalized the thought, but oh well, here we are. It feels like a play half the time. The sets, because there's so much real physical space it's the actors huge. are moving through and interacting with. The yes. bit where they're at Nigma's party and the one guy, the mayor or somebody, like goes behind the curtain to experience it's Commissioner the TV Gordon. Commissioner with the holograms. Like he walks behind that. And then you see his shadow, and then he does that, and the TV comes on, and you see that. But it all happens. There's no, he walks out of frame, and we'll just cut in another shot here. They filmed that, like, five times from five different angles. Full set, real, and then cut together their favorite bit. And it, it's really weird, because it gives Gotham this incredible sense of physical presence, not just in terms of the art design. It felt like facades, but it also felt real somehow. Right? I don't know. I don't know how to explain it it was but... this it's this bizarre unreal like like it's uncanny valley in terms of proportions because you get those yes. dutch angles you get those low angles you get this giant operatic scale and these garish costumes and the set dressing and the smoke and the the lights flickering in every scene in the background there's some form of light oscillation happening so yes, it's very much feels feels like a and but there are I've, films that do that that I they feel fake to me right I, I see yeah. the the thing and go it's a set and suddenly I'm picturing the whole thing the way I pictured any of the sets that I worked on in the theater or when yeah. I toured Warner's back lot or what have you Hook is like broken. that for me and the, yeah the illusion is shattered something about this even though I could see it the whole time it didn't break anything it felt fuller and realer somehow. Like, there's this sudden sense of, oh, this whole scene might move to another room, and they might not even cut, because this is a building. Right. Even in, instead of feeling like, oh, it's one street, they put some facades. And I, that never happened. They never showed me that immersion. But for some right. reason, I believed it. I wonder if it's just because you're seeing it from every angle. Because... Because they physically built those things, and because they shot it in wide and scale, the way mm-hmm. that the camera moves through it, you're seeing every point of it. There's you're not. There's no back to it. You know, it's yeah. not like Yoshi's Island. You go around the back of the level. You know, it, it's it's yeah. all you see it all. 
Yeah, the, that's the a really sets good point. Wild, like it's it's crazy to think, and I mean all practical. There's some CGI stuff like the leap down into the the sewer, which I think is an incredible shot with the billowing cape, and he just hit like he has this sinewy way that he moves through the air. Like I, it's great. The CG uh, is great too. It holds up. Which yeah, like the waterfalls, people... and we're oh, going yeah. up to Wayne Manor or the Wayne Enterprises with that waterfall. I a love lot of that design. Talk about like. It's like Jurassic Park is kind of the go-to, mm-hmm. right? And go, look how good this looked. And then they'll point out anything from between the years 1995 and 2019 and go, why does this look like trash? You know, I mean, I don't know. I don't know why that is. But this also holds up. <laughs> and it's something about it that still feels old-fashioned, early-days CG. But it again, it didn't ruin the immersion. just clicked. And when you said it about the... um the sewer scene where he does the cape and all that, that was the scene that really brought all that to mind. Of the, oh, right, several times I went, oh, that was, you know, retro CG. But also that just kind of worked. Like the, the 3D model of the brain in that simulation is so cool. Like that's, that like 2003 was Spider-Man, right? Where they had that opening like intro with like the webbing and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it was that level of, like, I thought that was really great. Like great immersive tech I, that's a, just from the production i mean we could talk about like that set like the party set is huge and yeah. the, i love the design of the box like it, the big veered like yeah. almost uh um uh route 66 like old finned uh cadillac like shh, like big antenna but cool yeah it also has a little i mean it's a blender that's the shape <laughs> like, sure I, I love that and there's that big kind of central uh fountain that's kind of cascading down but within that like i love the technology of the immersive experience and he's got flash drives and their little green vials with riddler green like liquid in them i just like love the like the color theory in it too is just like everything is just dripping in green around uh uh riddler and then when we we see two faces lair like how how the production the art and style the, yeah it's Oh, the contrast of it. And then I love in that too, just to bleed over into Tommy Lee's performance. When, when Drew Barrymore is describing like her quail egg, pristine home and garden dinner, he's playing Harvey on one side. He's playing him excited and his legs like kicking up like a dog. Like he's like really excited to begin it. And so, and that's the thing, like you get bits and pieces of him playing it physically separated and it's great. And it got muddled. I don't know where in the editing they decided to make him more. Like, he he's trying to out Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey in the scenes they're together, which is a, a mistake. I think that's a problem. Um, because See, you're I, just I not going to. No, I, I love it. But it's just like, I think that's that's where the disconnect kind of comes from, is it's not really serious and zany because that's not really a characterization of Two Face I've really seen. It's it's manic and it's scary and crazy, but it's it's never kind of that flamboyant. But that's what I like because it shows you just how enticed Two Face is by the Riddler. And when Two Face's journey through the film up to that point is that he's starting to sink into this despair of why can't I kill Batman? And the Riddler shows up to deliver him. It's neat to see the veteran villain start to like puppy dog his way after the new guy a little bit that's amazing i changed my opinion (laughs) that's what i will i will take it as my own that's outstanding (laughs) it reminds me of the conversations he has with himself slash 
with the radio in Tim Drake's origin and the mm. parallel lives segment where they're constantly like he and Batman are trying to figure out Batman's trying to depict his crime and he's trying to do a crime. He like talks himself through several two themed crimes and after each of them is just like, nah, that's more like the Joker. No, nah, that's too stupid. <laughs> no, nah, I did that last year. Like it, it reminds me of that, you know? Mm. Like like meeting Jim Carrey was the, the beginning of that that type of two face. <laughs> right? We get that whole line about your entrance was good, but his was better. Showmanship. Showmanship. Speaking of which, <laughs> Mega Mind, anybody? <laughs> um, but to, to go back to the effects bit, the practical effects, you're right, were just astounding. I mean, every inch. He's, Brit, he's bombing the Batcave. And yeah. that footage is shot. He's there. He's physically in there with those explosions going off that close. And it's, he doesn't flinch. I don't know how they got those those reactions he's just reveling in it and it's that's very comic book hero like or villain-esque right like just this prancing mm-hmm. like it's mr mitzelplick outside Joker. of the hospital yeah that the, the yep. like flourish like you see like uh uh scarecrow with the gas just out of his wrists just kind of dan- fred astaire dancing it i that i love that but he i mean yeah. he says joygasm there's no reason for him to say joygasm he says uh Spank me? Why does he say spank me? I don't know. Why it's is Jim the Two-Face crew entirely dressed up like they're BDSM enthusiasts? <laughs> um, but even just... Even Heavy he, metal, too, home, house and garden. <laughs> he, uh, after the quote-unquote suicide, the manager, and Wayne sits down in his chair and slides through the tube. Yes! <laughs> he talks to Alfred at one point, and the screen comes on, but we're viewing it from the outside. So we see yes. the screen projected onto, onto face. Batman's face, and it's half Alfred and half... That is some of the best screen-based sci-fi imagery I've ever seen put to film. Ever. That one shot. He's in this giant black sarcophagus, sarcophagus. going across great word. Gotham. To be, arrive, and I think it dings. It dings like an elevator <laughs> when it arrives. Yeah. Like, it's just like... That's and then there's just sparks love. flying everywhere. Like, did they yeah. have to cut him out of it? Was it like welded shut? And they had to like, cut, like, what the fuck? They like riveted him in. He's got it fucking. <laughs> That's oh. another thing I love about this. This Bruce and Batman are fully formed. They exist. Mm-hmm. They have the cave. They have the gadgets. They, they, the plane, the boat, the whole nine yards. Yeah, and he's working on sonar. He's working on the next thing. Like, it's just and Bruce is is the philanthropist he is the playboy he is this kind of benevolent force on that side of things and though and we're getting into the psychological piece of it behind the scenes but like it, it's it's all there you know like there's no you're not none of it has to develop except robin and nick mm-hmm. you know those are the origins that we focus on which i think is a struggle like, because again when when a new director will come in and try to revamp things we end up redoing things and like uh, it's all got to be my and that's the thing i think something that helps gotham kind of maintain its integrity and and it feels like the same place kind of ballooning out i mean you get commissioner gordon back you get um alfred back you have these guy kind of uh, uh uh figures that kind of consistently move through them that kind of ground them in that way and alfred is this this version of alfred it was really hard to let go when that actor passed and when he wasn't going to be Alfred uh, anymore, 
I, it was really hard. Like I, I've grown to like the more badass Alfred or like the more like psychological, like the exploring that uh, father son relationship, kind of making him younger and exploring that. But this one was just perfect. Like he just, he was funny. He was kind of sassy about things. It's just kind of there. He was again, fully formed. We didn't have to develop that character or that character's mm-hmm. relationship. He was just benevolent grandfather esque, like, support system you know that's something i've really loved lately to go back to the justice league animated shows or similar because there was this brief well no it wasn't brief there was this period of time where the characters were all established and comics in general was struggling with how do we keep things fresh when they've got all the gadgets and toys and relationships and that's why we get things like well i'm crossing timelines here right but we get no man's land or we get batman begins or even in Love Atman now, it's only year two, right? The car makes its debut yeah. in, in that movie because the first scene, you see it up on the shelf with the cover over it, and then he drives it later. And it's like, oh, okay, he finished the car. You know, it. I just, I want, I've seen I've seen Batman begin a lot of times, like you said Bill, before <laughs> about, I have to see those pearls one more time, but not just Batman, <laughs> right? So many heroes. They're they're going back and rewriting and digging in, and it's it's great, it's fine, but we kind of have the opposite problem now of like, can we just see them working around a day, you know, just do their job? Again, it's another hand in glove thing with the Daredevil discussion, right? That dude yeah. is Daredevil. There's no, we don't have to develop him, and I think that's there was a freedom in that. You could tell really kind of weird, off the wall stories and explore different things differently, and I, I it, I, you just get origin fatigue and like again it's it's like the tolkien thing we don't need every tree branch's life story i don't need again with solo solo's the word like how he got his name i fucking hate that i hate the tweeness of that oh it's like here's how he got his pistol from fucking uh uh uh, natural born killer for some reason like why why is woody harrelson's giving him that pistol oh it's a pistol oh those are the dice like they are sacred, and I love them, and I've bought the toys. I get it. But could you just just do the thing? <laughs> like, can we watch the thing happen instead of, like, here's the origin for, I don't know, the, the bat ears being this size instead of this size? Like in uh, Kelly, th- that artist, I really love yeah. that design. I'm listeners. And not even origins, fucking... but just that everything seems to tear down what it's built. Not to, it hasn't even come out yet, right? But Thor Love and Thunder right? Thor got two movies, and then he was in the Avengers a lot. And then Thor Ragnarok took it all away, but we had the Infinity War. Fine. We're coming back to Love and Thunder now, and he's starting over completely. Which, I, I'm like, he's great. I'm sure it'll be good, but just like, you know, Captain America, we got his one origin movie, and then we got Winter Soldier, right? And then it was Civil War time. He's out of the Avengers. So, like, when do yeah, we, we don't get, get to a lot of watch like, Cap pause. go bust heads, right? When do we get to watch Iron Man, like, be Batman, but in metal suit, you know? Like, And to be fair, the movies aren't necessarily the place for that. I figure they'll do that in the, the comics, the TV shows, or whatever. The movies are the big tentpole events. Fine. But, but you get the point, right? Like, the status quo never stays. Well, see, and I, and I wonder if a lot of that comes from trying to 
please everybody like oh people who don't know who batman is all right we got to do another batman origin because there's another generation of people who don't know who batman is as opposed to you know because i was thinking like the whole idea of tearing down the status quo like that's the stuff i love in comic books because we've had decades of a story setting this status quo like you know a lot of my favorite stories are like you know you know even though i mean say what you will about you know uh um What's the, the the one where Batman gets his back broken? Uh, Night quest, night night end, night, yeah. Night like, fall, <laughs> night fall. Those yeah, are all all three of those are all, correct. Yeah, <laughs> all, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like you know, so the idea of we've had Batman for this whole time, and then oh, now it's not Bruce Wayne and as Batman, you know, and like and you know, and the, uh, around the same time was oh, death of Superman. Oh, these these four other guys are Superman's mm-hmm. around the same time. Oh. You know, oh, there was actually a clone. You know, well, the clone was actually the real Peter Parker all along. So now, okay, Peter Parker goes, and now we have the clone. So, like, you know, kind of upsetting all that. Like, that's I agree with you. Yeah, if you, if I just think that we've swum too far. Yeah. Yes, like you've had enough right. time with them to establish, like I said, to establish the status quo before you upset the, stab- right. the, the status quo, you know? And, right. Um, but yeah, like that's that that that's what I like. I like seeing things get get fucked with, but it's like I want to appreciate the thing before you fuck with it, you know. And um yeah, like I I I wanna see the movies get to that point where we can start really I mean, maybe that's what they're doing now is like, you know, and I know a lot of it, at least with Marvel, they're trying to move into that next generation, you know, past like the Iron Man cap and Thor and all that stuff and into whoever's coming, but like um but yeah, like, I mean, those, those are some of my favorite stories in, you know, like, uh, like the DC stuff that I was really into was when, you know, DC was in this whole period of turmoil, you know, like, and I think for me, it, it starts with uh, identity crisis where, you know, it's just like, let, let's, let's fuck with everything that we hold dear and let's, let's show all this shit that's been happening. Like, oh, Batman got his mind wiped and he finds out and he's fucking pissed and he becomes, you know, paranoid and, and he starts like looking at everyone around him as a potential villain, even his friend, you know, and like, like really twisting all that stuff and how that kind of happens. And then, you get this nice point of rebirth after that, where it's like, Oh, after the whole one year later, when, you know, Batman goes off on a journey and we have, you know, the, for, for a year, the DC universe doesn't have Batman, Nightwing and Robin, the three of them will go off together. Like we need to like get our shit straight, you know, and, you know, Wonder Woman murders a guy, but then she's like, okay, maybe I shouldn't be murdering people, you know, and kind of those, you know, those stories matter. I feel like, yeah, because, we've lived with these characters for so long, you know, and, and, and I think, yeah, I wonder if part of it's like, you're trying to strike that balance with the movies. It's like, if you don't have someone who's a diehard fan, who's going to see every movie and appreciate all these little details, you know, is, is that who they're doing all these reboots for, for the person just coming into it now? Like, Oh, I, I heard about this Batman guy. What's he all about? Like, Oh fuck. All right. Here, here's another one. We, we get to, we, you know, we get to show you the pearls cause you haven't seen the pearls a million times. Or, this is for you, you know? And like, but yeah, like I, it's, I, I think it's a, and it's weird too, because I feel like with the comics, it's easier to do that, you know, because there, there is this ongoing run of Batman that you can keep going on and reading that. And then if you want the new Batman, here's the new 52 or whatever, all that other stuff. Whereas like with movies, it's probably harder to do that. You know, it's probably because they're more expensive. You know, you can't just be like, oh, let's, let's have, you know, 
five different series going parallel of Batman movies at the same time. I mean, they're kind of doing that where it's like, you know, right around the same time we had Gotham, but then we also had the, you know, you know, Justice Titans. League, you know, Ben Affleck, you know, oh yeah, Titans too, I forget. Yeah. And then that, and then on top of that, we have, now we have the Robert Pattons at Batman. So it's like, there are like, I feel like these else worlds that are kind of happening parallel and it's like, Oh, choose your poison. Like which world do you want to live with? Do you want, you know, young child Batman? Do you want, you know, new angsty Batman? Do you want old grizzled Batman? You know, we got him, you know? And, um, but yeah, I just, I, I, I want any of those to go on. Like, I would love to see a nightfall storyline in the movies, but if it happens and I mean, that was one of my biggest complaints with Batman V Superman, you know, the whole reason the death of Superman was so heartbreaking was because he was this beacon for decades and he died. Mm-hmm. It was like, what do we do now? This one was like, I so when he dies, it's like movie two of your continuity. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't even know if I like this guy yet. Like he's yeah, not really still, a hero he's, yet. He hasn't found his way yet. So, yeah. So, so him dying was kind of like, Oh, this is how I become the hero. Mm-hmm. But it was like, yeah, like I, it was, it didn't have the impact. Like, it, you know, if, if, oh my God, if you did Death of Superman with Christopher Reeve, if like they had done that, like, holy shit, like the world would have yeah. lost its mind, you know, like, so, but like, you know, Henry Cavill, I mean, he's great. Like, I like him as Superman, but his death wasn't, yeah, wasn't that same sort of, you know, you know, if we, if we, I mean, or for me, if, if they did Death of Superman with Tom Welling, like, holy shit, like, I had 10 years with this guy as Superman, and he was my Superman, you know? And, like, if they had done Death of Superman with him, like, fuck, you know? But, but yeah, it's like, you know, I, I feel like there are all these big important moments, these big turning points that happen. But, yeah, like, you need to have enough of a status quo so that they, they really matter when that happens, you know? Yeah, I agree completely. And I we talked, I think, on the podcast, maybe during the Snyder episode about or I'm just talking to everybody who will listen, that I'm kind of getting tired of the Marvel Universe constantly kneecapping whatever's going on in the moment to to serve the larger overarching narrative, right? And it's what you said, Tim, is I'm super excited, really, that DC's cinematic universe is falling apart because it lets them give us all of those different things that you mentioned, right? That we've got, we've got Robert Pattinson now, and we might see Affleck come up again somewhere. Who knows? We've still got Titans is still going, isn't it? Young Justice is still going. That's in the animated verse, but it ties in more with what was happening in Snyder movies than anything else. Like, great. Just give me the good story that you have ready with the characters that we know at whatever point in their lives they need to be to tell this story. And who cares if it's next to anything else? Just tell me your story. I, I'm kind of excited. And, you know, I, it's a shame we can't kind of have both, I guess, right? It's got to be one or the other, but. That's the thing. Like, I would, I really wish they would do like a Marvel one shot or like what they were trying to do kind of with the, the Star Wars. They like a Marvel Star comic Wars story. story. Yeah, like that yeah. that type of thing. It would be really cool to be like, okay, let's go back and do like an Iron Man from this era. Like, I I think that that's what I'm clamoring for too. Is like just kind of let's watch a dude do a thing because team books and big events have always like really intimidated me, and they're harder and harder to follow. Um, yeah, but Zeke, what's your favorite scene in this movie? <laughs> to get back to least, to, yeah. to this other. <laughs> Yeah, um, I can go do favorite scene. I don't know. I just, as you were talking, I was thinking about, I don't know. It's just so different what a comic book movie means now versus what it right. meant in 95, 96. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't know. So it's interesting to think about 
where the DCEU is now and the MCU is now. And, you know, the idea of an extended universe being even a thing in the 90s, just being so contradictory to what was coming out then. Um, I don't know. Yeah. So it does kind of place where this came out and what it came out to versus just the movies that we're seeing now and the series that we're seeing now and all that stuff. Um, I don't know. So my, so my favorite scenes are all very campy and very corny. Um, I got to go with, uh, I don't know, for whatever reason, I, when I rewatch these, it's whatever just makes me laugh. And, and it's not that I'm not taking these seriously, but the unadulterated joy that they bring is something that you don't see in current comic book book movies. I think, I mean, there's still humor, right. In modern movies, but like I lost my shit when the dude's trapped in a safe and Batman's like, Oh shit, there's a dude trapped in the safe with tape on his mouth. And the guy's like, you know, like mumbling his way to get Batman's attention. Batman comes up, rips the tape off (laughs) and he says, it's a trap. And then the door closes on both (laughs) <laughs> like you fucking idiot like i don't know i i laugh genuinely laughed out loud for, Dude, for that moment that batman's not prepared if he's just jumping into fucking safes <laughs> <laughs> right and then the other moment um specific to a character where i just laughed out loud was uh uh two-face and he's got drew barrymore on one arm and the other girl on the other arm and he's got a cigarette in one mouth and like the cigar in the other mouth. You got the lighter to light the Harvey Dent mouth and then like the fucking little flamethrower lighter <laughs> to light the cigar in the two-faced mouth. But just the number of moments in this movie where I just, like I said, just laughed out loud very genuinely. <laughs> I don't know. When I revisit these old movies, uh, that's kind of what sticks with me. Um, you know, in the Schwarzenegger one where he says his ice age line or there's another line where <laughs> scott loves his ice age line too i love all of his last puns they're so they're great so good. there's another one i can't remember what even the lead up so is. Ice. <laughs> they're all so good there's another one where he's like um i don't know he says something and he laughs and as he's laughing like i think batman's attacking him he's like ha ha uh-oh and then just gets laid out I don't know. Just for me, when I rewatch these, it's for the pure comic bookiness. That's not a word, but the comic bookiness and the silliness. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of other more act. I don't know. I, I like the, the Batman getting ready scene and you get the butt shot and yep. he's just <laughs> Val Kilmer's just double cheeked up on a Tuesday, just <laughs> shot of his ass. Like why not? Why not Val Kilmer's ass right now? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You did not just double cheek on a Tuesday about Val Kilmer's ass. What the hell's he doing out here with all this ass? <laughs> just thick, just super thick. Just give us thick Batman. Why not? Why not? It's the '90s thick Batman. Let it go. Um, I don't know. All the favorites are just the silliest things, and just the way that the that the butt shot is just included, like it's just action shot. You got the cape, you got everything. There. It's natural. It there. It's Why just, wouldn't yeah. you? And it just concludes. And then it just goes on to the next thing. It's just ass, just thick, and just and then on to the next thing. And it, I don't know. So, those are my three favorite scenes. This is my favorite day. This is the best day. Why not? Just those are my three. It's 
Batman Forever is just fucking <laughs> Valley thing. Dummy Thick Kilmer. <laughs> dummy Thick. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to sneak up on these criminals. <laughs> Tell me you thick. can't sneak up on me with all that <laughs> ass <laughs> in that <laughs> leather suit. <laughs> I don't know. That's the thing. Like we talk about, like the over sexualization of Nicole Kidman (laughs) in this role. We see the Kilmer as in in scene one. He doesn't even say the drive-through line. That's the statement they were making, Tim. (laughs) Ass. This this one's about ass. (laughs) Hella ass. (laughs) How do we follow that? (laughs) Sorry, that was. I'll do it because mine are quick. Um, the scene I already mentioned at the tube with the screen with Alfred's face on Bruce's face is perfection. I forget the content of the scene even, but that shot. And then the other bit is when Nigma tests his device on his unwitting supervisor. <laughs> because that actor, the supervisor, he could be Moon Knight. The way he goes from your fire to, oh, ooh, television. Like there's no <laughs> switch thrown moment. It just is immediate. He's, he sells the Riddler as a villain. In that instant. And the whole way he acts with the, the holograms, and then the way he switches back to Fury, it's just, that's what makes it. You know, Carrie could freak out as much as he wants, and if the guy had just kind of sat there and been like, yeah, sure, okay, whatever, and then gets thrown out the window, I'd be sitting there going, oh, man, this Nimbug guy is kind of crazy, huh? But he just sells that hologram, that technology, immediately. And you're like, oh, there really is something here. So then when Nygma gets the intelligence bit, like, ooh, the side effect, and then decides to take all of that, and instead of, like, rubbing his face in it, just chuck him out the window, it seals the deal on his transformation from obsessive to villain. So that's, I love that's that, my other I one. I love that yeah. shot of Carrie when he when Bruce leaves, and he's like, you were supposed to understand. Yeah. That, I mean, he, he does a lot of big stuff in this, but there's a change that happens in his eyes there. And it's 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 different. It is is yeah. switched. The obsession has turned as it would have inevitably done. And yeah, that scene, yeah. Yeah, that character actor is incredible. Like that dude should be in Jerry Lewis movies. Like he reminds yeah. me of their supporting cast. That just great character actors and performers. And on the flip side, it's not that it's his fault. But when he says, "I'm going to report you," the first thing he says is to the FCC. <laughs> and I'm like, what? What? <laughs> I thought it was going to be F. B.I. Right. <laughs> but he was well, TV related. He's just like consequential the... agencies and then gets to the police and you're fired. <laughs> like, oh, there we go. There are the consequences. <laughs> Tim, what about you? Favorite scenes? Um, my favorite scene is, um, and, and it, it's funny too, because of all the really good Jim Carrey scenes, like this one stands out more i mean it's just it's it's just a pure reaction to it the part where he's watching on tv as two faces at the 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 circus and he's eating all the popcorn and he's like i want him to be a broken bleeding in a word dead he's like ah! how much he's laughing and i was just like oh my god and like i la- i forgot about that scene and laughed my ass off when i saw it backed it up and watched it again like just how like amused he is by that and then you know he's just like eating the popcorn it's all stuck in his teeth and i was like oh man i forgot about that scene <laughs> yeah that scene's so good <laughs> if i can jump in with another jim carrey uh riddler scene that that was great was um we're at the gala and and he kind of cuts in with nicole kidman and like everyone's <laughs> ballroom dancing and he does a little like shimmy 
you, you can tell absolutely that he just improvised that and that she's trying not to just lose her shit because the goofy way that he's dancing is just unplanned and unhinged and I love it. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I I love, he says, patience, oh, bifurcated one. <laughs> I love that. He says, uh, I, it, that's never going to heal if you don't stop picking, picking at it. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I love, love when he says, don't kill him. To kill him, he won't learn nothing. <laughs> I, I love them playing Battleship, like oh, the, yeah. the ad, right? Like the, the fact, the buy-in on Tommy Lee Jones to play the Battleship thing, that old man, like, I know he hated that. But the See, fact but that, that he says, who, me? The deal for me about Two-Face being taken with the Riddler, that I, mm. we talked about earlier. Because yeah. you expect playing. him to just be like, I'm not going to play this dumb thing with you. Blow them the fuck up already. But he said, he sits down like, you know what? Yeah, this is fun. <laughs> this guy's great. Um, yeah, the B12, my favorite vitamin. <laughs> yeah. so also good. my favorite vitamin, I might <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I will say, I, though, I have a least favorite scene that I've had since uh, I first saw this movie. Uh-huh. And it's when Bruce gets shot and the bullet grazes him instead. Yeah. The word that I didn't know at the time was contrived. Right, but that bullets are bad. They shoot people, people die, or they miss. Okay, so this hit him, but it hit him in the head. But it hit him just enough to knock him out, but not to even at the time. That felt dumb to me as a kid. But then, thankfully, the Riddler comes along to say, "You won't learn nothing," <laughs> and it fixes everything. Suddenly, I'm happy. I will say, as as contrived as that bullet wound was, my man Kilmer falls down some fucking stairs. That dude oh slid, God, yeah. and it's his face. He Bam. looks terrified going down backwards that was I, I i every time i'm shocked by that like oh god <laughs> the stunt work i love the riddler's throne room i love the big the the ch- jackals or what jaguars he's got i love that that outfit that he has that sequiny it's so garish and, and i keep saying garish but it is it's shiny it's gross it's gaudy it, i want to die in it i want to be buried in something like that it's just and this time watching it i got real big like emperor joker vibes just kind of like this massive like i i don't know like he, because of the intellect and because he was on this pedestal and built himself this throne room and i love the detail of the throne room like Every one of those hand rungs is question mark shaped. All of the lights just, it's like, what contractor is like, who do you think we're building this for? Like, I love that, just like the comic book contrivance of that. Like, it's just, no, he just fucking made it click it. for me. That reminded me of Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah, yeah, the big, ju- yeah. Yeah, and it was been bothering me since I watched the film, so thank you for that. Oh, wow, yeah. That's a crazy parallel. But uh, though he says the whole, I'm, I'm a god. Like you said, throne room. Like it's his, this is my God room, my God temple worship. Yeah, that's yeah. what made it click. Um, I love the way I love he sits the... on his throne when he's going to ask him the riddle and how he just like poses just himself. Like, <laughs> oh, it's so, the confidence, it's just, he's just oozing. It's just like, oh, it's so great. Um, I, I love nothing like a bad case of gas. That Tommy Lee Jones line, I think that's sick. I, it's funny. I, I will I will defend that line. It just it doesn't make sense coming from him, but I like it. Um, I I really like the um, I mean the the top big top scene. The circus is mm-hmm. is wild. 
It is amazing, bright and colorful. And they really do a good job of presenting the death of the Graysons in a really poignant, serious way. And it's gorgeous the way it's shot. Also, the the gymnastics that uh, Dick does. Like, I don't know if that was him, but it sure looked like Chris O'Donnell doing that stuff. And just the the way it was paced, and it just was this really wild spectacle of a performance. And then, and then he, uh, um, Tommy Lee comes in, and he's got the big hat, and it's this huge performance too. Like he's he's reveling in the space. I thought that was so cool. It's like this is it's straight out of the comics. That kind of stuff. Like for he's just like circus is in town. Well, let me get my circus hat, and we'll do Gotham circus shit. Like I, I really like that. And then another favorite scene is the um, seeing the flame proof uh, cape. I really love that. Like just the the simple. It, it reminded me of the Batman armor sequence in the very in the first one where it, it goes over the Batmobile to protect it. It was a similar kind of veneer or kind of effect where he. He goes burrows under it, presses this button that kind of turns it this different liquidy metal color and it it, and that's the thing that huge inferno that we see is massive this roiling fire and it looks incredible it's so much that like kilmer coming out of it is sweating in the mask and i just like i love that because it it, as a kid that was like oh crap that's that's a lot of fire batman really has to be and it shows you like this is how the cape protects him from the fire i i thought that was really cool that was one of my favorite things about the animated series was that his cape was useful in a whole bunch of different ways. Yeah. But one of them was fire. So when I saw that in the film, that was a great click. And just to answer your question, Joel, Robin, Chris O'Donnell did have a stunt double, uh-huh. Mitch Gaylord. I don't know. It doesn't say what each of them did or didn't do. Gotcha. But the stunt double was also Dick's brother in the circus scene. <laughs> okay, cool. So they That's got him awesome. in the film doing stunts, yeah. That's so cool. And that's the thing, like, it was the closest, I mean, the other, as an adult, I love that he says, I need a name, Batboy, Nightwing, like, Nightwing's there. <laughs> he said it. He's like, okay. And this, this, I mean, the Schumacher films are the closest we have gotten to, like, an isolated Nightwing. Like, I mean, Titans has done it. I haven't watched that show. I know I need to. But, like, just, it was like, oh, cool. Dick has this personality, and he's at odds with Batman in both the films. And I mean, you we get a kind of cool interpretation of the Nightwing suit in the second one. It's an interest, like a different color scheme and kind of more. It almost uh, now I'm thinking about it, it reminds me of uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, the armor that um, uh, uh, Gary Oldman is wearing as Dracul. He has the big sword and that kind of plated armor. I'm thinking of that reminds me of the Nightwing suit in Batman and Robin. Yeah, and I mean a million Jim Carrey lines. You know, like I, I just I love him prancing through the Bat Cave. I it just it's so unbridled and 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 fun. And I love the the little flourish of it being like a little branded bat wind up toy. <laughs> I, I it's great. And his cane, the way he moves his cane, like it, it's great. It it's I love that the movement of that character. And I mean. Again, this was six-year-old Joel who only ever wanted to ever be Jim Carrey. Like, I, my parents and my sister, between this and 
when nature calls in the mask, just quote machine, everything in this, try to nail the inflection, try to like caffeine will kill you. I have been doing that in his voice since I saw it the first time. Like I, like I love how he just delivers lines in this. It's just big part of my childhood. (laughs) On character origins and on the Riddler, uh, What's the little what's the little bobblehead guy where he gets his design? I don't know if they explain that right. No, he just, he just okay. has it. <laughs> well, he, he lives like above it. like a game uh, themed laundry, mm, and he has all of the like he likes puzzles and stuff. But it's a little convenient. Like, hey, I'll just wear that. <laughs> right. Okay. I, I will One. say though, the sound effects in those scenes. When I was a kid, I had a little Batman book and it had a strip of pictures and you pushed each picture and it made a different sound that as yeah. you're reading, like it had a little engine sound for like the Batmobile or something <laughs> like that. And those, I don't know if it came from like the book I had specifically, but I remember hearing those sounds be like, oh, those are the sounds from the books. And like, I think Bring. my sister had some like, like uh, little mermaid ones, but they all had mm. sound effects like that. So like those sound bites, I think that's where they took them from is like, you know, like when he's when he's doing like going to the note, it's like just like a like almost like a fart sound. Like that was in one of those books, and like the one I had was a Batman one. It had like a sound of an engine revving or some like wind chime sound. It was some mystery thing, but like like yeah. So I think that's like it, it probably would have been around those same times too. So I think that was like a reference to those books, which I thought was really cool. And I remember that watching it. It's like, oh, that's right. Like, it was weird how, like, those sounds, like, triggered that instantly. Like, I thought of the books and the pages and I could picture it all. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, that, that sound design. And I love the score just in general. I, I was telling both Zeke and uh, Tim Scott that I bought the Elliot Goldenthal score uh, album. And I've been listening to it. And it's just, it's jazzy and it's mellifluous. And it's got these kind of... There's bubbling trumpet lines over. It just has this great kind of cacophonous grand feel to it. And I love with the Nigma scenes, a lot of it is informed by the music. I think there's that R.E.M. song as he kind of gets home. I, I don't know if it's R.E.M. I can't remember. It has a very... It was similar. Flaming Lips, wasn't it? Oh, okay. That's who it is. Um, but I love that, like so much how music informed that characterization. And then the score has all these like technical, like techno logical keyboard sounds and it's really cool speaking of music the last song to play during the credits is kiss from a rose yes and it's half it's like halfway through the song it's not even the full song and they sold the movie with that song yeah talk about marketing like i yeah like well that and like the one for me that i associated with it too was the the u2 song which is also only in the credits right so I feel like they sell you the movie by like, oh, here's this so cool song from this movie in the video. I mean, the video for the song is going to show a bunch of clips from the movie to make you want to go see the movie. But the movie has no real payoff for that song. <laughs> I think a lot of people characterize this film as like the worst movie with the best movie soundtrack song that came out of it. <laughs> At least we got Kiss from the Ro- Rose out of it. <laughs> to think of just all of the marketing for this because i know for sure i had the um they had batman and riddler walkie talkies oh from right. this. i had those and then i think they had like a rock'em sock'em robots but it was batman and riddler like fighting That's each other awesome. um i know i had uh like a batmobile when i was a kid and i can't remember if it was the one like the design from this movie or if it was from a different one i had um, two batmobiles from this movie 
I had a smaller scale one that had, it was an RC, but it was connected by a cord. So it couldn't go anywhere. It was dumb. (laughs) But that that one was really cool because it lit up from inside. So that blue kind of underlacing, like the the exoskeleton kind of those ribs out, like it was blue and it would glow and it made the sounds. And then they sold from this one was the biggest toy was the Batmobile that could become the Batboat and then the Batwing. You could put all of the different components and he could have all three. That's the best Christmas present I ever got. <laughs> is the cool, like, I, it's still at my folks' house. It's the best. That's amazing. Yeah. I'll trade you the walkie-talkies for the, for the Batmobile. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll, we'll have an eBay discussion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. This just also feels like the pinnacle of, like, like soundtrack marketing and toys marketing and like happy meal marketing, just the perfect storm for this movie. I feel like. Yeah. You know, I, that I, might've been how I connected into these. Cause I, I have four or five Batmobiles and mm. one of them has a character from Batman and Robin in it. Uh-huh. I can't remember for the life of me right now, if it's Batman or it's Robin, but I also don't remember ever buying that. Maybe that came from a happy meal. And I was like, why does McDonald's oh. have Batman in it? And my parents were like, oh, for the movie. And I went, movies? Or maybe not. Maybe I'm constructing false memories here. But, but the, McDonald's, the McDonald's fuse yeah. was huge. And then they had like, I know I had a Riddler toy. And, and they, they, they had always had Batman action figures for the show. And then for like Shadows of the Dark Knight, these different series. But when they started putting them out for the movies, they started getting kind of really wild with like, air assault batman or the one that you could go underwater that's the other thing we have an underwater scuba fight in this movie can we just for a second this has like thunderball can like you watch this or thunderball this is much more entertaining than thunderball it's a better scuba sequence i'm just saying that i'll put that out there but like i i and then so they did a redesign of the riddler and they had a whole bunch of those figures and then they did the the movie accurate two-face and I remember getting that, and he was cool because he had, he wasn't superposable, but he had like this big gun. And then instead of having both arms where you could put something in, he just had an empty hand and a gun. He's like always gonna have the gun, which I thought was so badass. And it came with a coin, like a physical metal coin that I have floating around somewhere. And that was the coolest thing is like to have his coin. I, I'm convinced. Now I'm thinking that's what started my obsession with like collecting coins. It's fucking Two Face. It's always been Two Face. The Two Face <laughs> coin rings a bell. Like I remember the like the you know scratched outside of one, and it was yeah. shiny. It was like yeah. it was like a shiny tinny kind of metal. Mm-hmm. It's fucking rad. I love that <laughs> coin. I gotta find where I put it. And I love that it had. I mean, Gotham has its own Lady Liberty. It just has a Gotham headband, and that's what's on the coin is the the uh, Statue of Liberty, which is really cool. I, lo- I love that part at the end. I remember that was another scene that I really liked where, you know, and it was an example of Bruce being prepared when he's like, oh, what about your coin, Harvey? And he's like, oh, you know, and again, you get like this really amazing switch to Harvey Dent, like his how his voice changes, and it's like, 100% Harvey Dent, Harvey Dent in that moment and flips the coin and it's like, okay, I'm going to throw this handful. Like, like that I thought was masterful. That was like yeah. a perfect way to handle that. Like Dent is almost relieved that Batman reminded him, right? Yeah. Because here he was about yes, to of course kill you're the right, guy. Bruce, you've always and been then, a good friend. 
Right. Yeah. Only true justice. Thanks. Yep. Also, yeah. Robin, you can't kill Two Face because I'm gonna do it. Yeah. <laughs> no. And it's like accidental enough. It's like, well, mm-hmm. I didn't pull oh, yeah. the trigger. But, no, you're right. You know. I, I'm just, I'm just talking. Well, about this, it. this is a Batman that owns murdering people, right? Because he talks about like, yeah, say, okay, say you find that person and kill them. Does it make you feel better? No, I know because I've done that shit. Something I thought was interesting about this characterization of Batman was the first thing that we hear him say to a villain, not the drive-through line, but when he goes and he finds Two Face. The first thing he says is, you need help, Harvey. It's not, I'm Batman. It's not terror. It's not, it's not aggressive. He's like, and this was his friend, right? Like, like Bruce and Batman had a relationship with Harvey Dent in this continuity. And we get, it's, it's not as well told. We we get kind of like a, a flash of what it is, but like, you look at, at that scene again, it's like, no, he is not trying to beat this man up. He wants him to be well. This is his friend. You need help, Harvey, is the first thing he said. I just thought that was a really interesting thing. And what's really cool, and it adds more weight to that scene at the end, is that like Harvey at that point doesn't know that he's also Bruce Wayne. Like Bruce, like Batman in that point, it, at that point, is speaking to him as Bruce Wayne, as his friend, but Harvey, you know, Two-Face right. doesn't know that. He's like, you are Batman. And it's only because at the end he knows that Batman and Bruce Wayne are the same person that he can connect on and he gets through to him because he's also Bruce and he's speaking, you know, Harvey, what about your coin? It's like, oh, this is my friend Bruce talking to me. So yeah, that, that's some, that part of it never actually clicked with me that like, it's only because he knows that Batman is Bruce. It's not Batman talking to him. It's Bruce talking to him. And he, he has that awareness now. That's great. And I love that. Like, I love Two-Face's introduction. Too, because he's talking about like uh, one man is born a hero, his brother a coward, people starved, all of these things, and then he, he like it's this gradual reveal as he's kind of approaching. You see the coin first, and his toes, and you see that they don't the shoes don't match, and then it's up, it's, and then he ruins it by saying, "Blind, simple, doodah, clueless luck." It's just this great subjugation and inversion of the energy because it's like. Dent is so serious and he's he's delivering to the jury, right? Measured gravitas and two faces, doodah, clueless luck. I it's just I I love I love that. I love it for it being ridiculous and I love the character choice. It's that's such what I love thing. about the whole relationship with him and Riddler. Like this opening bit isn't for the money. He's here to trap Batman. That's the whole right. reason he's here. Yep. And as he fails and fails and fails, he sinks into that despair. And then when Riddler shows up, you know, he starts to connect to him. I love this idea that, like, if he'd survived here, and we'd seen the character come back later, we could have seen a, a completely wacky Two-Face doing the weirdest gimmicks, who, like, at some point ends up with Batman. You know, he's locked up in the car, and Batman's hauling him off. And, like, Harvey looks around and goes, wait a minute, what the fuck am I even doing? Like, even as Two-Face, what's the point anymore, mm-hmm. right? Is it just for fun? Like, I, I saw the beginnings of that journey in the relationship with Riddler here. And it all comes from this that starting point you mentioned, Joel, about, oh, A, he's not here for the money. I'm counting on it. Batman is coming. It's the whole reason I'm doing this. But then B, <laughs> sure, you'll get rid of Batman, but what else have you gained, right? So that's sort of, that's the point. But then B of, like you said, Dent is measured. And Two-Face is not. He's already sort of just 
enjoying this for the sake of almost and it's yeah yeah i love them buddy buddy copping buddy villaining across the like show me how to punch a guy (laughs) (laughs) reach right back and it searches up and i love that that like delivery from tommy lee too that you got he he reaches man he's doing stuff like it's it's great to see him work and it's just I love the juxtaposition because he hits that guy and he just melts away. And then just the pink, like the the enigma that he's not a Jim Carrey talked about. It, he's like, this is not a guy who's going to physically intimidate you, but he'll pick up a rock. And that's where you have to. And I love that idea of like he's not physical, but if he starts to get using a tool, it's over. And I, I thought that was really clever. Um I'm curious, do you guys want to hear what the, the, the original draft was? Or I'm really enjoying us just discussing it for what it is, not what it could have been. So I just wanted to put it like, if you guys are interested, I could tell you, or I could, we could talk off the podcast about it. I just wanted to test the waters for that. How are you feeling? Yeah, that's fine. I'd like to hear that. Oh, either way, yeah. Because okay. you already put me in mind about the the hard turn they made, you know, from returns to this based on merchandising and that sort of thing. So. Okay. All right, so the central plot element on which the the whole movie was meant to turn was that Bruce became Batman because he thought he, he was guilty for making his parents go to the movie theater. And what happens is on the day of his parents' wake, he gets his dad's journal and he reads a phrase similar to the following... Bruce has insisted that we go to the movies and that's it. So he reads that reacts, grabs the book and runs. And that we see him with that journal. And he's, there's that voiceover that they cut in or after to fix it. Um, so what they did was the, um, he runs out and he falls into the cave with the book and the book is lost. And he's like, okay, out of guilt, this is why he's crafted Batman. It's it's revenge in a certain sense, but it's mostly like hell, hating himself for causing it. So what we do post him getting the glancing blow to the head, so he, he gets shot in, in the original draft. It doesn't make it any easier to, to swallow the fact that he, But when he wakes up, he doesn't remember being Batman. He doesn't remember anything. So it's him and Chase and Alfred kind of coming to, okay, what what is the the... What is, what are you going to do? Are you going to be Batman still? Are you going to, like, what is that? And there's like a convenient remembrance thing. So what, what it culminates in is Alfred and Bruce in the cave and Alfred saying, well, this is where Batman came into your life. You need to go back in there to find it. So he goes in there and he finds the notebook and the notebook says, Bruce has insisted on seeing the cartoon but we wanted to see this, so we're seeing this instead. So it was, again, it wouldn't have been his fault in the first place. But to have concrete on the paper, he didn't cause this. They were going to go to the movies regardless. And that he gets... Uh, uh, he, uh, well, no, he, he, he gets that guilt and that relief. But there's also a big bat, like this man-sized bat that shows up as kind of like this oracle, like what is the path? And that's why when he's at the end, he's talking about uh, choice. He's like, I am Bruce Wayne and not Batman. because I have not to because, be, because I have I to, be, to be because I choose to be. And the whole point of that is 
it was built out of fear and guilt. And now as a man who is, is, is let himself forgive himself, he's choosing to do it for this other reason. And uh, that is, once you see that and you hear that, you can kind of see the pieces of like, okay, that's what the picture was. They were trying for and how it was edited and how it was influenced. And also like, there's also wild flourishes of like, you probably could have edited Carrie back a bit. I think it would be hard to do that because he's dancing all over every fucking take. Getting anything usable is just as good or just as difficult as getting anything good. You know, I feel like that's part of that conversation. But I going through and watching the behind the scenes, they did like a 10 years later behind the scenes documentary about it. And it's just fascinating that that and the one that they do for Batman and Robin are just fascinating. It's really interesting to hear what all went into that, but. I was really intrigued by his relationship with the doctor in regard to his relationship with himself as Batman, mm-hmm. even before knowing all that, because it put me in mind of the mask of the phantasm plot, yeah. where in that yeah. she comes along early on. He's not even Batman yet. Yeah. And he has that, that tearful confession to his parents about, I didn't count on being happy, right? That I just, this yeah. was going to be my crusade of sadness. And I didn't think there could be anything else for me. Right. And that, when that falls apart, it puts him into being Batman. And then anytime he comes across Catwoman later in the series, there's this luggage of the presumption that you can't do both and that the choice was made. And now there's all this other stuff set in stone, Robin and all the technology, et cetera. You know. But here we sort of had that coming in reverse of him already having been Batman. And now she shows up and it's this idea of, oh, I never thought that I could just choose not to be Batman. And it works really well. There's a little bit, I feel like there's a missing scene somewhere between, you know, him making that connection and him walking out on Robin, right? Because they have that debate right after Batman shows up in her apartment and she chooses Bruce Wayne, right? It's like, she's like, another one or two more sentences would have done us well there, right? Yeah. But it, it works really well. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just looking through my notes, finding quotes again. All the rest of my notes are jokes. Um, like how... Tim Burton is totally playing Hugo Strange at the end there. I mean, come on. <laughs> Look at him. He's not, but, you know. His name is Dr. Burton. I love that, too. It's right. like, hey, in case you didn't know, this motherfucker is Tim Burton. <laughs> or uh, when they're robbing a bunch of people, Riddler and Two-Face, we're interested in the usual cash, jewelry, cellular telephones. <laughs> like, yeah. Nope. Okay. Just an old Free low tech. Yeah. <laughs> that signal isn't a beeper. <laughs> yeah, beeper. Trying to um, get under my cape, Doctor. I love the Ray Parts hot tay between them. They have great chemistry. <laughs> the goons who attack Wayne Manor, right? We know that Two Face and Riddler know the truth. Do the goons know anything? Or are they just told, hey, let's go fuck up the billionaire? <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. Oh, I love the line post homicidal depression. When when Riddler comes and says that, like he sees to Harvey for what he is, and he's like, "Do you really want it just to be all over that easy? Like you know you're gonna be sad when he's gone, right?" And I love that. Just the, <laughs> it's it's so perfect. Like the, that is such a great phrase, and the way he says it is just great. Um, the Batmobile claw, crawls the wall. Can we just so? I and I never really. Where does it go after that? That's what I want to know. <laughs> it flies, okay. It turns into the Batwing and flies. Like, oh shit! What but do I do now? I didn't really Is he think. Gone of yet? It. Can I let myself back down now? Is he gone? Like looking back. 
but I love that it's a nod to Adam West and Burt right. Ward walking up the side of the thing. And you even get that reaction shot mm-hmm. as it's going by. Or people are like, did that, did Batmobile just go about? Like, I think that's really cool. But yes, where the fuck does it go? The same thing happens with the Tumblr. He's like, he's jumping over rooftops. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Again, I said Kung Fu Laundry. I can't say it anymore. It's right. I, it was fucking cool. <laughs> it makes no sense. <laughs> There's a bit when the they break in and they bust Alfred's head and knock him down with the tray of candy. The tray he lands down in the way so of the door. And as he's going down, Alfred like shifts his hand and pushes the tray out of the way so that the Jim Carrey can open the door. He saves the cut <laughs> as he's falling. That's a like, goddamn professional right there. <laughs> brilliant. It's a brilliant moment. I also love that they get in because they just trick or treat. Like, <laughs> That's excellent. Yeah, because it's Halloween, right? Everyone's costume. Oh, then we have excitement yeah. too trick. when they realize they can get in. It's great. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> but it's brilliant because he's like ninety nine percent done falling, and his hand is down here at his hip, and it like he like lifts up a millimeter to just whisk it upwards. So that as he finishes his fall, he shoves the tray out of the way. It's, it's brilliant. The neon uh, gang scene is pretty sick. Like it's just acid trippy. And I was confused thing. about it at the time, but then as we talked, it came together about dark Knight returns, the mutants, the whole aesthetic. Oh shit. I never really put that. That makes right. so much sense. Right. Me neither. My lot, my note is did, were they reusing stuff from another film? Question mark, right? A rave movie? But no, it all came together while we talked. I also love that Dick is like good at, like he's acrobatic, he's strong. He's got some fucking moves in that fight. Like it, that's a oh, pretty yeah. decent fight. Like he, he's an he acrobat. Yeah. Like he drops, he drops into like this sweep kick thing and it's just like the smoothest, like it, oh, it looks great. Um, I feel like people gave him so much crap for being in these movies. And I'm like, he's great. There's nothing like, I don't understand. He's not playing a little boy. He's playing Mm -hmm. like, I mean, again, the aesthetic is very much like boy band. So that's, that's, I mean, they've never really, the one that would have been boy band ish would probably have been Todd, but he was before that was even the thing. He was more like street tough. Yeah. See, blah. That was the the dude who stole the fucking hubcaps. hubcaps. Um, Nowadays, it would be Damien. He'd be like, right. someone somewhere would call him out for being like, oh, edgy punk style. And Damien would be like, what? I don't follow those stupid fads. <laughs> He'd like, be annoyed <laughs> that he was spinning into a box. Um, oh, I love the, the um, question mark addition, like using the bat signal as the dot. Mm-hmm. I, Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, one of the greatest lines, like the jacket, keeps me safe when I'm jogging at night. Night. <laughs> I want that jacket. Right. Ironically, I need one. I agree. <laughs> I I would like to jog at night and feel completely safe. My only disappointment with this movie is is Gordon, who's just this <laughs> complete dullard, this total buffoon. Yeah. Go you know, go. That's about all he does. Is like uh, he's not coming. Wait a minute. And when the signal's on at the end, and then he's like, eh, turn it off. He's not coming. And the jet flies by, and he like jumps up and down, and then shakes the hand of the copies away. <laughs> Why did you shake his hand? 
<laughs> you didn't do anything. And that's that's straight out of Adam West. That's oh, Mr. Yeah. Gordon from the Adam oh, yeah. West show, where it's like, congratulations. That's why it's passable, right? It annoys me, but I, I'll take it. Oh, then Kilmer thumbs ups him from the cockpit of his Mach 1 jet from 5,000 feet. I love that, too. Just the close up on him, like, yep. Like, oh, yeah, he can see that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my line from my note from that is, yes, shake the other cop's hand because that's how normal humans act. <laughs> like, he's just <laughs> trying to fit into every scene. <laughs> oh. oh, flock of freaking Freuds. Just excellent. Just just that by itself. <laughs> a breakthrough and a breakdown. Maybe! <laughs> like, I love that he's playing this manic and like part of part of my, what my brain does to explain away kind of the sillier things is like he has these other people's minds in his head like i think he's absorbing like it's not just iq i think he's absorbing personalities and that's why he gets more and more manic and more and more like if if uh knowledge is power then a god am i he fucking learned fucking tibetan chanting or whatever that oh, thing is like Gregorian chanting to fucking do that shit. I it's it's a fabulous performance. It, I also it's... learned about reverb. <laughs> <laughs> he did. That room is very acoustically sound. <laughs> now that we're recording and in the joke section, I'm gonna remake the joke of when Robin is shouting at Two Face about whack, that was from my brother, whack, my mother, my father. Like normally you'd want to be more careful about your secret identity than that. But I just thought of the Batman Beyond scene, which is a real, it's, it's not some fake meme. It's a real scene where Terry shows up to the glowy head guy and is like, who the hell are you? You killed my father. He thinks about it for a second, then goes, just kind of annoyed too. Do you have the slightest idea how little that narrows it down? <laughs> like, it's not a dramatic Jim Carrey line. It's just a matter of fact, like, oh, okay, sure. And I had the same thought here when he was well, being You thought you were important to me. For my family, <laughs> right? For everyone you killed. Two-Face could have said, like, who? who? <laughs> a lot of people. He's like, that's understandable. I kill a lot of people. <laughs> he just kind of takes it in stride. <laughs> oh, the the massive... I mean, so all of this is practical. Like, there's very little... There's some model work and there's some CGI stuff. But the, the Riddler's Lair, the boss battle arena, is... Completely fabricated. That is a massive piece of engineering. And when Batman is climbing up and the, the thing comes down, and I, I just took this for granted before this last time. This really had an impact on me. Like, it's coming down to crush him. So he uses this jet thing. Like, he has Batman get out of whatever shit. So he he gets, he's got these lasers at his feet and it sh- shears the gears and it flips with him there and the fucking thing in real reality like this actual massive prop moves and it's gorgeous and massive and i just never really the, the impact of that prop right laying the seats prop. for the truck flip at the dark night right right yeah <laughs> yeah just the Not scale really. and the spectacle is just and that's the thing i I feel like this movie gets really dismissed, but when you go in and you watch it, I mean, even if you had no score, just the visuals are really compelling, really wide swings and gorgeous composition of shots. 
I, I, Zeke is totally valid with the, the Dutch angles. There's a lot of them in this. I think they're playfully done and they're do, like, I, I think it makes you feel what Bruce is feeling oscillating between these two and also two face, but it's also like, it's an unsettling camera move, but like what it's moving and what you're seeing kind of takes shape in the background architecturally is really interesting and cool. I agree with that. I think the whole time I've seen those shots, like at first they were a little distracting, but once I learned about them and the use of them, it, it felt like a very Gotham-y thing to do, right? And it made sense to include them because of the setting. So, yeah, I like them. Is it time, Joel, do you think? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> and I'll put it right here. It is It is time for another situational movie <laughs> recommendation. Okay. Um... Something just occurred to me. Do we have that situational movie recommendations thing? Is that... We recorded that at one point, right? Yeah, yeah. Did that have Zeke in it? Should we do a new one with the four? <laughs> So Tim's not e- even in the other one. Tim, Tim, oh, that's it's true. you and me doing sing song bullshit, and him it putting is, the jauntiest, laziest theme behind it. That's true. And that that's what it was. Like I, yeah. Tim and I have actually discussed refining it and making it better because we, no. after the fact, you and I made like we did a better attempt, oh. and Tim has looked at it a couple of times and been like, "No, I, it's better that it's bad." The cheesiness is the point. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I am more right. than happy to come up with another segment so we can make a silly joke with Zeke, but we're not touching that one. Okay, <laughs> like, fair enough. They had like xylophone or something too. Like it's like I know there's like a timpani role I think that leads into it. Yes, it, it, it sounds like stock music from like a PowerPoint <laughs> at the first PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> I just wanted to bring it up while you were doing the cut anyway for the jingle, so that yeah, you can cut this if you want. Yeah, so okay, sure. jingle happened. No, this right Please. here. This I'm just going to put some reverb on it and auto-tune it, and this will be the new intro. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm right. going I – have, I have become more unbridled in what I want podcasts to be. I found some really random ones, so I'm just embracing it. <laughs> Buckle up, listener. <laughs> so I assume you have one, Joel, for this movie you were so excited about. I, I didn't really – I was just so excited to – to talk about the movie i didn't think about one so the the kind of uh throwaway one i was thinking is what is a, an odd or kind of bizarre sequel that people don't like that you really like so to whatever series whatever franchise what is a sequel that is kind of out of favor with most people but you really like because that's this this is by definition what this is the five-year-old that is is Joel, who wishes he would have met you guys when he was five, was very happy to have this conversation with you. So thank you for pleasing the inner and outer child for me. a thinker <laughs> oh this is where it i really can put is. in okay i'm putting the elevator music tim like we were talking about i'm putting it in here yeah <laughs> so happy i've been wa- i've been begging for an excuse to use that one <laughs> you know it's a good one because scott has to go and look at the movies on his show 
<laughs> I mean, I'll I like another one for me is Too Fast, Too Furious. I I really love the Fast franchise. That one people don't like, and I will defend it to the end of the earth because that mm-hmm. franchise, and I've said this before, and I'm going to irritate myself because I'm going to edit this and have to hear me say it again. So this is for you, future Joel. Fuck you. This, <laughs> I love that movie because it doesn't, that franchise doesn't know what it is yet. I, I'll go with my two usual two answers thing. Yes. Also, it fits in with my love of Two-Face here, which works great. Mm-hmm. Um, weirdly, as weird as it is to say this, and I'm sure you'll agree, Joel, Spectre. Because Skyfall came out, and it was great. And then Spectre came out, and it was also great. I would certainly put Skyfall above Spectre, but they're both fantastic. But everyone mm-hmm. I talk to goes, oh, too bad Spectre ruined everything. <laughs> I'm just like, what? <laughs> what I, are you talking about? That is a good one. I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, and then the other Batman-centric answer, which is totally cheating, is um batman sub-zero which is just an animated series standalone movie outstanding great it's excellent but it came out after mask of the phantasm uh so, so people who saw been... mask ah, of the okay. phantasm which is a really just solid triple a movie on its own ended up with this sub-zero of it's just a standalone tie-in to the film with low stakes and a chill adventure ride and people went what the hell they're not sequels to be fair not the right. point but people no. thought they were reasonably <laughs> And I think Sub Zero gets a lot of hate when it's just it's just a good two hour long television episode. So reframe your perspective on that, people. <laughs> um, I was going to buzz in quickly and go with Back to the Future Three for my usual answer. Um, people not like three. I love three so yeah, much. I feel like people don't like three uh, they because like two? it does. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Two's yeah goes to the past. I feel like three okay. people don't like because of the Western setting, because it's just like a, it's more disjointed from one and two, right? It's like, Oh, now we're going back. But I don't know if you like one and two, I feel like you have fun with three because it's just an extension of like how things work and how, I don't know, just an exploration of a different time period and you get the same characters, but just in a different fun setting. So yeah, back to the future three for me, but also I'm having a hard time finding more because usually I'll Google at this point and like i googled best sequels and those were too good and now i'm googling <laughs> worst sequels and those are too, too bad, bad. Yeah. yeah so three back to the future three for now but i'll be back the other one that i've changed my mind on and and i think i've talked about before the born legacy the fourth yeah. one, one with jeremy renner that's good because even at the time i watched it and went i didn't want this why but then i came back and went oh this sets up a whole board universe for us this is cool and i i was one of many who did not appreciate it at the time the way I should have. I thought you were going to see the first two of those. That's kind of crazy considering two has no beginning and no ending specifically because it's designed to be this middle film. Like, yeah. like the Empire Strikes Back, you can watch and at least kind of contain itself, right? The middle board movie doesn't do that at all. Even close. It's, I can't believe you resisted temptation to go see the third one for so long. <laughs> well, I, I think I also just lost track of what order they come in because right. there's no, you yeah. know, there's no frame Fair. of reference within their titles. Fair. Um, and it like think, it, it just plods along, so like it's in real time almost, right? Like the the sequel yeah. starts right as the the, the previous it, one ends. It ended. starts the way Honor Majesty's Secret Service ends, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, Have you seen No Time to genius. Die? 
Uh, Zeke, I thought for sure you'd have a Rocky sequel. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm trying to think which of those is like disliked. Five, I think, is the yeah. least like. And I, I, yeah, I don't know. That, that one's I hard. Yeah. I, I love the, the <laughs> Don King I- imitation, though. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. I was going to say it's disliked, but I don't know that I would like jump to its defense. Right. Um, the fight's good. I like the street fight. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. There are other deeper Rockies that are, I don't know. I feel like one through four people find something about them that they like. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really like, I think Temple of Doom gets a bad rap. And I, it, I mean, it's racist. Yes. Less so that, these that days, I guess. Sense. But I just yeah, love that it's hard. a Bond film trapped inside of Indiana Jones. Like, I love the cold open. I love short round and he is acting again. Thank God. Thank, thank the Lord for him in everything all at once, all the time. I know I'm saying it wrong, but fucking incredible. Everything act. everywhere all at once. That yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, because Temple of Doom was dark. It's the opposite. Oh, yeah. It's the Batman Returns problem, which is what gets it. It's flack, right? Yeah. And I think like Batman Returns, its reputation got rehabilitated as time passed, but. You could have used Batman Returns for this answer, yeah. <laughs> oh, I guess <laughs> children. Here's a, here's another obvious one that's just me. <laughs> Godzilla '98. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's trash. It's boring. But th- I mean, like this started my fandom of Batman. That started my love of Godzilla, and I would like, I will always love that film for that. And again, another one that's just like super marketing heavy. They got me with the Taco Bell dog. Like here, lizard, lizard. I they had my heart and my money and my gastrointestinal health. It just Taco Bell had it all that that summer. What about you, Tim? Um, probably I don't know. I I feel like a lot of them people could probably guess. Like like the Matrix sequels. I feel like I I definitely like them more than most people. You know, like. You know, as as a as an Uber fan, as opposed to like, I feel like you know, for you know the amount that I've really dug into them, but I feel like in general, yeah, they weren't received well. I mean, we've you know we've kind of discussed that back in the day. We don't need to go into super detail about it, but um, I think also with like a lot of the a lot of the Marvel sequels too. Like, I I really liked Thor: The Dark World because I thought like after the first one, which and I mean the first one was fine. Like, I feel like they didn't know how to handle Thor. But also it's like, oh, well, they're aliens and they have, you know, so it's like the way they kind of treated them was really weird, but it was fine. But with this one, they seem to make him make it more of like, oh, well, they're like, you know, they're Vikings, you know, and like, I feel like we saw more of him in like not his bright, colorful clothes, but like just wearing this kind of like brown cloak and you know his hair just looked more you know and his his beard looked like natural like I feel like they tried to make Mm -hmm. his hair too yellow in the first one. And then they just kind of went with the more net. So it's like so much about the second one just, just seemed more like down to earth, more, more, you know, like they were kind of not like, okay, let's not try to make them too much like aliens. Like let's more lean into the Viking aspect of it. So I thought that was really cool. I mean, it wasn't the, the, the coolest story in the world, but I, I definitely enjoyed it. It's not one that I will watch over and over again, but I, I, I liked it. I didn't think it was bad. Um, uh, same thing with, I think like Iron Man three, I feel like a lot of people didn't like Iron Man 3, and I always wondered how much of that had to do with the fact that it was the first Marvel film after the Avengers. It's like, this is not supposed to be better than the Avengers. You know, like, the Avengers was a climax, like, we're we're, we're rebuilding again. But 
but it was such a great response to what happened in the Avengers and, you know, Tony dealing with his whole like PTSD and everything. And it definitely wasn't as entertaining as I feel like, you know, it it could have been, you know, there were a lot of lulls, the whole thing where he's just like hanging out with that kid for a bunch of the movie, you know, like, but I thought it was really, you know, it, it was one of those, I think it was more about Tony Stark than it was about Iron Man, you know? And I thought that was really cool. Um, again, like I don't just throw it on to, for a light fun watch, you know, it's like, I, but I feel like as part of the, you know, both, I feel like it, 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 it worked really well as being the third part of the Iron Man trilogy, as well as the, the epilogue to the Avengers, you know, um, you know, it doesn't have the rewatchability of the first Iron Man. Cause it's just like, Oh, it's super fun and like bombastic and whatever. But I think it wrapped up like Tony's story in a very good way you know, and, and, you know, him finally like going for the surgery to get the, the, all the shrapnel removed, you know? And, um, and I remember like how, how cool that was. I remember having a discussion with someone about it, like, Oh, like he has the resources. Like, why wouldn't he have gotten that surgery earlier? And it's like, and it's like, have you, have you not dealt with like, or know people who have experienced trauma that like, there's a part of you that's like, I deserve this trauma and I don't deserve to be healed from it. Like, like that, that's not an irrational way to respond. That is a perfectly natural way to respond to that, to not, to not, even though you have the resources to not get that dealt with until you feel like this sense of, okay, like, yes, I can have this done and I can, um, you know, and kind of having that trauma define you in a way. And that like, if you remove that trauma, you're removing who you are and and having, seeing him move past all that and like grow from that and, and take the responsible part of him that learned like, yeah, you can't just make weapons to sell to people. And, but like the fact that he didn't need that as a reminder of that anymore, he grew enough as a person that he could get that removed and still be making the right decisions. Like I thought that was such a great ending to all of that, you know, and, and him still being Iron Man and finding a way to have it be, you know, yeah, like, because he chooses to, you know, like he didn't have to ha- be Iron Man because why well, I have this thing stuck in my chest and it's powering the suit. It's like, well, I'm still going to find a way to be Iron Man without it. I can choose to be Iron Man without it being this, you know, this, this wound that I'm carrying around with me, you know? Um, so yeah, I thought, I thought all of that was, was great. You know, the, the whole bait and switch with the the Mandarin, I thought that was hilarious. It was, it was very anticlimactic, but it was just like, like, wow, like the balls it took to do something like that, to not have him be this big, scary villain, to have it be this whole ruse. And, you know, and, and um, have you seen Shang-Chi? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So and, and, we all, yeah. Trevor Slattery comes back. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Oh, they bring him back. yeah was a nice so surprise. <laughs> I love. I love when he's talking about Planet of the Apes too. And he's like, "Oh, they're acting like. Oh, like they they train the axe to the, the you know the, apes, the monkeys yeah. are riding horse. It's like, uh, oh god, like he's still like. <laughs> oh, he's still an idiot. So, see, I think that's that's one of the big ones that you know I. Yeah, and and I think there's also a lot going on with it you know, between that and then like, oh, the other guy, oh, I'm the Mandarin. And, you know, and also Extremis was thrown in there, which I love the Extremis comic book story, but um, I feel like it didn't quite do it justice because it was doing too many things at the same time, but it was still cool that they kind of worked that in, I thought. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I, I thought, I, I, yeah, I think a lot of people just sort of dismissed that one. And I thought, I thought it was really good. I mean, it, it, it did a lot and maybe it didn't do all of that well, but it was like, 
I think, and I, I don't know, I think that's something sometimes it's like, you know, it's like, do you evaluate a film on as a whole? And I think sometimes you can look at the parts of it that are good, like, oh, the, the, the idea of the story, like maybe it didn't play out as well because we're doing this visual medium and it's supposed to be exciting and it's a comic book thing and we're expecting all these, you know, superheroes punching each other and we got some of that, but maybe not enough of that. But like, I don't know, I still thought it was, it was really good you know, for, for what it was and for what it was, you know, trying to do and what it's in a lot of ways, I think what it succeeded in doing, even though it didn't succeed in everything everywhere all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I saw that <laughs> callback. That was great. <laughs> you reminded me of X-Men three actually. Oh yeah. Which is sort of, I, I get why people are annoyed because again, like Batman forever, it's just such a turn from what people loved about the first two that, that, x-men treatment of people who are on the fringes or ostracized and uh, you know that worked the first two films tried to balance that way better with the comic book action and three except for the brief setup about the cure promptly throws all that out the window to give us ridiculous bombastic action and a neutered phoenix plot but Mm -hmm. that's all i wanted at the time when i was a kid more more action it was the best of the three right because it was the crazy bombastic action-packed mutant fight superhero film you know now to i can now better appreciate the others and films like logan right mm-hmm. but i still appreciate x-men 3 for being the batman forever and batman and robin of that franchise right it's just let's just make it cool and fun yeah yeah i mean i i enjoy i mean there were things there were little pieces of it that i was kind of like oh what like oh why'd you kill professor x come on man like but but like i mean but it it also had had impact you know and it was like you know and um, you know, like kind of killing Cyclops right off the bat, I feel like was kind of shocking, but it was like, mm-hmm. oh, it kind of, it, 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 yeah, it definitely told you like this, this is not the X-Men movie you're expecting, you know? And, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, like it, you know, once you kind of realize that, that that's not what it was like kind of, ex, you know, taking it from to the races. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We'll get, I'll get drive through and Scott is dead. <laughs> yeah. Two, two big starters. I was gonna quickly walk in uh, Scream Three because uh, I don't know. Like each subsequent Scream movie is just more meta than the last one, and like mm-hmm. they're making the same jokes and they're talking. You know, it's the same commentary on the horror franchise and things. But I, I, I do like Scream Three. I know a lot of people don't, um, but it's the one where they're making the movie about the Scream murders. And then everyone who is an actor or actress in the movie is getting murdered. I fucking um, love that one. It's, it's so yeah, good. It's fun. It's fun. And it's a good whodunit. And then there's a lot of just unique murders and there's a lot of ridiculousness. And I just like that franchise. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I'll forgive it for its sins because I like uh, what it is, even though it is a lot of other things that are very repetitive and very corny it's also still fun and still keeps you guessing i guess so not the best sequel but i like it what do you like very nice that was a good one joel it was a good question thanks i'm I'm glad it it became something because it was (laughs) well it took a minute we got there yeah Yeah. (laughs) give us some time so are you up next i i am and we talked a little before recording about something i was thinking of running forward and I'm not going to. I'm going to stick with my original plan, which, to be fair, puts that movie second instead of first. But the thing that's first, then, is Casablanca. There we go. I mean, we did Kane. 
that's two blocks yep. blocker, right? It's I time. Just, I, I loved it. I was thinking about that today. I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm, I've got some time. Tina's not here. Maybe I'll watch Casa Black. No, I got to wait for the podcast. Well, it's happening. There you go. Casa Black is on HBO Max, so easy to find. It's Casa Black and Citizen Kane are two of the more famous major contenders for best film ever made, right? And I gave you this preface with Kane that one of the reasons it gets called that is because of the way it was made rather than the plot itself. And that if you go in expecting just, quote-unquote, just a good movie and not the best movie, it'll be good. And you all seem to seem to agree we had a good time. I don't really have the same qualifier for Casablanca in the sense that there wasn't, as far as I know, anything revolutionary about the way it was shot. It just was really good, came out at the right time, was massively popular, is now well-remembered. So that's why it gets mentioned as best movie of all time. And then again, to say that it's not going to be, you're not going to watch this and then go throw everything else you own out. But again, on its own, it is really good. Um, and I keep forgetting how long it is too, not in the sense that it drags, but in the sense that I constantly remember like from the second act on, and I forget mm-hmm. how much time and care is devoted to setting all the pieces up in the beginning. And every time I rewatch it, I go, Ooh, yeah. And then of course, it's endlessly quotable. <laughs> so many. There are so many quotes. I mean, of all the joints in all the towns in all the world, I'm shocked to see there's gambling going on in this stand. <laughs> I can't get to that line with a straight face. Um, this, is the, I guess this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship, right? The absolutely, like, careless familiarity with which they banter at the start about, I came to Casablanca for the waters. There are no waters in Casablanca. Oh, I was misinformed. It's just so, everything about it is so flat and like dry. But the lines are good because they just, they, they fit well. It's all banter. Like that last one about these two characters who've clearly known each other for some time, but don't actually know anything about each other, begin this conversational repartee. And that's where you get into the, why did you come to Casablanca? And he says, as cool as you like for the waters. But he immediately calls him on it. It's the middle of the fucking desert. There are no waters in Casablanca. And Rick just demures immediately. I was misinformed. Boom. He like he shuts the conversation down in this beautiful back and forth. So that's part of why it's so quotable. Because the quotes are great on their own, sure. But they're not just there for their own sake. They just emerge as part of these characters' interactions. Um, and it's another one of those older style movies where most of the movie is just people talking to each other. But that drives the whole plot. And sometimes doing things. So, so yeah, it is, it's time to talk about it. Um, I'm very excited. I've never seen it. Has anybody else seen it? Oh, oh shit! Oh, no, me. Okay, great. Okay. I'm oh, that's so excited. Awesome. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's good. The basic premise is that Rick Humphrey Bogart is this disillusioned American. He's living in Casablanca in a nightclub, and it's World War II. And at the time, Morocco is part of France. So, Morocco and Casablanca falls under the not occupied France, but Vichy France, the puppet government, where it's totally France, you guys, and they're not just a Nazi puppet. Wink, wink, hey. Um, and so he's in this, what is sort of another semi-sovereign territory governed under semi-sovereign Vichy France, and not Germany, but the Nazis are all over the place. And what happens is his old flame, you know, Lee Wan, the woman he loved and lost, shows up with her other lover, who is a major resistance leader in the fight against the Nazis, and they're trying to smuggle him out of these occupied states to freedom. And so there's this whole 
criminal noir cat and mouse between him and the Nazis looking for him and the like falsified transit papers they need to get out of town. And, and as all of that grand drama plays out in the foreground is the personal history between Rick and the woman he loved and lost. And that's, that's, that's your film. Yeah. Spoilers <laughs> for the, uh, for the, the, the modern update, you can watch the movie out cold with, one of the London brothers, I forget if it's which one it is, but and with Zach Galifianakis, and it takes place at a ski resort, but it's like based around that whole same premise of like <laughs> this one guy had this girlfriend, and there's even a scene where like he goes into a bar, like she shows up and she asks the bartender, "Oh, like play the song," and it's like that this stupid Weezer song, and he comes in, he's oh, like, "Oh my I told god, you not to yes, play that song, you to play that song," and she's there, oh, and it's like, "Oh, <laughs> yep, that's that's straight out of Casablanca, yeah." <laughs> It's great. <laughs> so that'll be good. I'm excited to, to see all your first impressions here. This is going to be yeah. great. And then especially excited to talk about it along with Citizen Kane as just the two together as these titans of the industry. Sweet. So yeah, that'll be wonderful. So thank you, Joel, for the most fun I've had with moving it a long time. <laughs> and thanks to Zeke and Tim, all of you, for another phenomenal podcast episode. Thank you, listeners, for joining us. And until next time, Keep watching movies, keep talking about them, and have a good night. Bye. Bye. It's a trap. Did you know Movie Mumble has its very own Twitter account? Please follow us on Twitter at MovieMumbleNTG and tweet at us with questions, reviews, or recommendations of things you'd like us to watch next. Uh, Batman! Uh. <laughs> Is that like, some of the worst background to... character acting of all time? <laughs> like getting insult to injury, like it's not just acid, it's boiling acid. So it's also going to burn you because it's acid, but it's going to burn you because it's really hot too. And when his glasses fall in, nothing happens to them, they just yeah. sink. <laughs> My glasses! They couldn't make this guy any more a weenie in 1990. Like <laughs> that. Thank you, thank you all. That was yeah. yeah. yeah thank you. Yeah. That was like the culmination race. of a lot of work on my part. Yeah. <laughs> to break you down so that you enjoyed yeah. this one. <laughs> my only other stupid binds here are at one point Bruce Wayne calls them holographs instead of holograms. Yes. Uh huh. Oh. <laughs> Which isn't. That's not a thing, right? Like holographic is the word, but it's not. Right. No, it, right? it's <laughs> sure. But the other two was when he shows up in her bedroom. I was like waiting for the bad condoms, right? <laughs> bad condoms are one hundred percent effective at preventing. Never leave the pregnancy. cave without them. They have like French tickler ears on them. <laughs> they prevent bad pregnancy, but not human pregnancy. <laughs> but the Wayne Tech lawyers are one hundred percent effective at preventing parody suits, so it's fine. <laughs> And then in the same scene, or maybe it's a different one, I don't even know, but it's just, what should I call you? You can call me anything you want. I, it doesn't make any sense, but I just had Bruce Wayne calling her, like, the stupidest fucking, you can call me anything you want. Okay, mommy bat. Okay, Hitler. No, don't call me anything you want. Like, you said anything. Like, just, it's not appropriate for that movie, but somewhere someone must have made that kind of dumb joke, right? <laughs> 
That's outstanding. <laughs> that should be a meme format. You should like that, take that shit to Reddit. That's that's Anything ready to go, man. That's outstanding. <laughs> okay, potato cakes. <laughs> what the fuck? Okay, Mrs. Cruz. Okay, Mrs. Cruz. <laughs> oh. That's oh, a good one, Jim. This is the one throwaway line where it's like Chase. Oh, and what a what a wild what pursuit a you must pursue be or something. Be, yeah. <laughs> Jim Carrey. Like, Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> she also j- dances with him too. She's like, okay, I'll do it. 